just uh, start with a land acknowledgement because I, I always start with a land acknowledgement. I think it's really important to acknowledge that we're on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, the, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish First Nations here in Vancouver. So here we are. Um, I'd love, love to introduce you to my guest today, Finn. Uh, we've met a long time ago now through skateboarding at a, at a fateful Parkades night. As and we uh, do. <laughs> As you meet people here in Vancouver. Yeah, of course. And uh, we've been homies skating for, for a while. I'm incredibly impressed at the diversity of your skateboarding. Thank you. Uh, honestly, everything from like snowboarding, snow skating, street skating, downhill, it's really cool to see you do it all. So uh, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you on. Yeah, I'm super glad to be on. It's my first podcast experience, so we'll see how this goes. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I would love to start with uh, how, how old were you when you started skateboarding? All right. So I started skateboarding, well, I guess to give some background, I'm from Germany and I started skateboarding there. Um, I lived there until I was 15 and I got my first skateboard. It was a Lush Longboards single kick cruiser from Boneless Skate Shop in Munich in 2007. And uh, until like 2012 or 2011, I, I, I just cruised. Like that's all I knew skateboarding was really, just like getting around. Um, but I've always had friends who also skated. So some of my oldest childhood friends, actually my oldest childhood friend is like a huge skater, snowboarder, and yeah. he always was skating. So I guess I, I kind of like got into it a little bit because of him or seeing him skate, you know, and I, I really wanted to skate too. And I always just thought it was cool. <laughs> so, that, so that's the earliest influence. Right. Yeah. Super, super early. All right. So that was, that was before you moved to the States. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like then, quite a bit before. Oh, okay. Okay. And then how did that transition from going into like cruising around into more like downhill, more, more street skating? Right. So <clears throat> my mom actually was always a, a big influence because my mom used to surf and uh, growing up in La Jolla in San Diego, she was always surfing like at Black's Beach and skateboarding everywhere on like you know <laughs> people tell you like oh back in the day we used to ride clay wheels <laughs> yeah <laughs> so she she would like skate you know and socal and uh when i started skateboarding she was like really supportive which i'm super grateful for and uh yeah so one day she for for christmas actually she got me slide gloves like sector nine slide gloves and i didn't even know what sliding was but i i loved them like I had them on and like I you know would just turn with my hand on the ground and at one point it started sliding and I like was pretty uh perplexed and was like well this is something <laughs> so then we looked it up and I I think I discovered the first video I watched was the Tantian video the loaded Tantian video Tim Tam Tantian with Tantian. Adam Colton and he's just skating the Hollywood Hills but he does like the crazy shit <laughs> on yeah, his, yeah. like flex three you know isn't that like the massive 40 no 40 it's something it's or? like the tantian was like the original like hybrid board i think like it, it kind of came from the dervish uh and it was right before they made the dervish sama so it was like a not super long long board but it was a drop through cutout board with small kicktails the, oh i, I yeah, think i know the right right about. it had like a checker board yeah yeah, thing yeah with the sun on the bottom like yeah, and it was like an iconic board, you know, like back back then, 2012. Uh, I actually ended up getting one because of that video, so I wanted to get more into uh, longboarding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone wanted that board. It was like the coolest board to have. <laughs> it is sure. a, a pretty sick It is machine. a sick board. I still have yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, of course. I, I held on to it. It's, oh, no way. It's sick. <laughs> I, yeah, I can still see some of the, the loaded, like, uh, 
uh, I guess a bit of fanboying. You got the uh, oh yeah, totally the tesser. What was oh, it called? No, I uh, I, I skipped the Overland. Overland. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big load of fanboy. <laughs> the Overland is it's so just sick. like it's a really good vibe. I like the company. It, they they're really artistic, which is what I really like. I mean, all their old videos were like are cult classics in my opinion. Like every release video, they always did such funny shit <laughs> you know they always like seemed like they were having such a good time i kind of yeah. just wanted to emulate that with my friends so i think that's like the most valuable uh type of skate videos right that get you to want to yeah go yeah up, the right? ones that get you psyched yeah, to go yeah um one quick aside i would love to to say the structure of this because i right. did kind of structure this cool. out yeah for people watching it would be nice to know where we're going i wanted to talk about uh skateboarding kind of like how you got into it and then more kind of the differences between different forms of skating and then I would love to talk about trees and plants and Sick. ecology. Yes. So for people watching this, it might seem like a bit of a strange mix, but it's a super interesting uh, set of topics. And I figured I'd divide them like that. We're not uh, switching between things too much. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, talking about the skating inspirations, I would, I would love to know, like, were there any early things that got you going? Like I, I heard you said you started skating downhill on almost like a Zach Madum setup with like at one point you had the anvil and the rogues going yeah. down on, on big runs and stuff. Right. Um, I mean, that came like a little bit later, uh, in the beginning. Um, I think as m very many 20, like 13, 2014 groms can like relate to was the like straight hill sesh vibe. Like we really, you would just do a bunch of 180s like essentially right? like you'd go down the hill and you'd just be spinning <laughs> and I think that's kind of like where most of my early skating came from like I just wanted to do stand-up slides because I, I saw you know the, all the videos like especially like Landyat's videos um Wolfgang Coleman oh those videos were ridiculous right and like uh what's his name Travis Craig like uh, the peacemaker they would just be doing a lot of like 180s and going really fast and I really liked that I, I wasn't actually super into downhill downhill because <laughs> I actually didn't know how to pre-drift for the longest time. I think up until like, I don't put myself on the spot here, but I think I didn't know how to pre-drift until like 2015 or 2016. I, was like, I just like refused to learn them. So I, I was like really limited at first. I would always just do free riding and like all the stand-up stuff. And then eventually I got more into like the, the, yeah, the venom thing you were talking about, like that, that Zach made him Aaron Hampshire, like just fucking balls to the walls it's down like the wild hill. scene big splits you know narrow trucks but i had it on like a huge board right i was like yeah. skating the anvil for a bit which is like i don't even know the wheelbase on that but it's this thing's too big <laughs> it's like yeah, 20, yeah, yeah. is it 26 27 inch wheelbase it's yeah, ridiculous it's inch board right yeah yeah it's it's fat like it's so big it's really <laughs> it's heavy too <laughs> yeah 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 but i, I love those things the, the classic anvils with the kind oh, of tails yeah. yeah they were really cool like it's so cool. I really like that board a lot. Like, I think it's that, that tail is so sick. And like, <laughs> at first I was a little bit like, Oh, you know, it's an iron cross, but <laughs> it's a little bit, but, but I don't, I don't know. Like I, it's just kind of like metal, I guess that's yeah, like yeah. the way to describe it. And I, if you look at it like that, I think it's okay. Right. Yeah. 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 You don't see many skateboards with, yeah. uh, with a tail like that. Right. <laughs> it might, might, might really just be, be the only one. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, you're, you're getting into like skateboarding into downhill. You, you got into Cali. Uh, I'm curious what your, your Grom scene was like, like who were you skating with right. kind of progression sessions? Yeah. Uh, so back in Germany, I was skating with <laughs> shout out, shout out, <laughs> shout out to Maxi Hösle, Ilya Stefanski, <laughs> Luca Bowen, all my friends back home. Yeah, yeah. My, my German friends. Yeah. We would all longboard together. Kind yeah. Of. And there was like, we had one little spot called, uh, 
or actually like two main spots in in Munich, um, or three actually. One of them is in Olympia Park, which is like our big park that was built for the Olympic Games. Um, it's like a tiny little straight hill. Yeah. It's like a sesh hill, but it's kind of cool because at the bottom it like branches out into four different paths. And they're all connected by one like perpendicular road. Yeah. So you can kind of just take any line. Like it's not long. It's never long. But you, you go down and, you know, you could do two rights or a right and a left turn. Or you could kind of branch out. It's really hard to explain, but it was actually a really versatile spot for how small it was and how, yeah, how yeah. little. A lot of like, options for rounds. Yeah, exactly. And then the other one we had was uh, Louis Park, which is um, actually called a Trümmerberg. Um, a lot of parks in Germany, you'll notice, are on hills. And it's not because Germany is necessarily hilly, like geographically um, or topographically, but that's all rubble from World War II. So like a lot of the rubble from the bombed houses were all put on in these like Schuttberg or Trümmerberg, and then they would put soil, topsoil over it. And then these parks kind of existed. So our hills are actually, yeah, (laughs) built on the rubble rubble of World War II, which is pretty pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that hill is like, it's a walking path to to go down and has it's our only run that has like a lot of turns yeah know? so within munich there's actually not that much downhill at all you kind of really have to go out but austria is really close it's just is there is there like a better hour south in austria i don't actually know i i know that there is a better scene there now but back then i didn't really know a lot of austrian skaters um that's but yeah fair. i mean they have the alps and shit so the they got all yeah, the yeah, mountains, that's right? that's yeah. they got all the crazy downhill runs it seems like a a, a crazy thing to do going down the mountains on, on a skateboard you know <laughs> yeah. um i am I'm, I'm very curious now like now that you're in vancouver what's what's the scene like now uh it's 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 i'm assuming quite different now. right yeah it's very different from <laughs> from munich for sure uh i guess something i can like it's a, i guess a little bit easier to compare it to the la scene since like i did yeah. live there for a while so okay right so i had no right you lived so, in la yeah yeah okay so when i was 15 i moved from germany to la because my family is from the socal area um and i moved there to take care of my grandfather and finish high school essentially um and i met all the the dudes there you know like uh yeah shout out to salty oh, fucking the croy boys turner everyone there's so many people all the san pedro guys like there's the, it's a huge scene there and uh, it's very different because um it's very car focused right like la's sprawl is you know famous yeah. <laughs> it's way too big <laughs> but yeah everyone's so spread out and all the spots are really spread out so you know you're driving like hours or like an hour to to go to like malibu or whatever and skate the runs there like maholland and um the the scene kind of comes together a lot there and that's a similarity to here, uh, where, I mean, I'm talking pre COVID. Yeah. Like, pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, here it seems like everybody can just like meet up at these certain spaces, right? Like not to blow the spot, but you know, West van is like very, uh, <laughs> very popular for us downhill skaters. So even just like a big group at Lonsdale. Right. And, and the busing is different too, right? You know, everyone can like just bus there and then you're on Marine drive and you're just catching buses, you know, yeah. you, you have a lift, essentially you have a lift going up. You don't have to worry about somebody who has to shuttle up the hill or no worry about the that. cars. Yeah. Or... Like that's, that's kind of always the, the big old, uh, um, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Who's huh. going to drive the next run back in Cali's like not really a issue here. Yeah. So yeah. I'd, I'd imagine that changes up the skating a lot. Totally. Like, I mean, 
I think the the runs are very different because here they're how we skate them is very different, right? Like in, in, in California, it's all, it's very open road skating. Um, not really within an urban environment often. Like I think the most urban environment you skate through are like suburb runs. Really? Kind of. Yeah. Cause you don't really like, I mean, I guess some people skate like downtown and shit like that, but I, it's more open roads at like Canyon roads, right? Like in Malibu or, uh, you're skating mountain roads somewhere like Mount Baldy or whatever. Um, but here, you know, you're in a very, it feels like a very urban environment, even though it is a suburb, um, it feels very different. You know, you got way more branching paths. There's actually like different routes you can take down the hill. It's not just one road that goes down and you have to take breaks, right? You're like, you have to spot all these corners. Yeah. So that's very different to Cali and Cali. I think most of the time we get to the top, just drop in and yeah. stay in your lane. Yeah. There's not as many like uh, crossroads where you actually have to worry oh, for traffic, right? I guess, like yeah, as long was, as you're staying in your lane, you just have to worry what's behind you and that no one breaks lane coming yeah, up. Yeah. Right. But, but, uh, yeah, damn, that, that's wild. So yeah, I guess yeah. that is a, a, a really big difference. Right. It, it, yeah. It feels like a big difference and it gives like the skate session a little bit different of a vibe. Like I think, for sure. I think it feels a little bit more relaxed skating here in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Cause like the pacing is a little slower. Not that the runs are slower or easier they really aren't <laughs> like just as hard they're really different like some crazy runs here yeah like when i first came here for the first like week and a half i couldn't stop falling like i ate shit like every single day because really? it's just so different right like the corners are different it's not as banked it's just like it feels really bizarre at first huh yeah i i, I would have expected west van to feel more banked but i guess in yeah. in, in open roads they bank oh more? totally like i mean in in i guess like i compared a lot to malibu but all the roads there, all the canyon runs there, are like super banked, right? You you, you barely have to slide any of the corners, huh? Yeah, because just, there's just enough. <laughs> enough that must be so cool, yeah, though. It is cool. It it is really you sick. just stick onto the yeah, road. Right? Yeah, You can lean into it's it. It's nice. It, it feels a little bit more like race racy, I guess. You know, like you don't have to drift as much and shit. And yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, I'm I'm curious about your your like street skating. Uh, doing doing park skating as right. well yeah uh, has that been more of a, a winter thing like a pastime for for downhill or have you been like really seriously yeah. doing it for a while a, a little bit so like i said earlier my my old childhood friend he street skated and uh so did i think most of my other friends and i longboarded right so there was that there's always that clash kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit a little community um, clash i out of spite didn't want to street skate for the longest time. Like I really was like, this is not, you know, they're, they're always making fun of the longboarders, man. Yeah. Fuck yeah. those guys. There's <laughs> like, a bit of a budding. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually really like it that much. I, I, I thought it was really annoying. Plus I, I at first really, and I still kind of hate the hard wheels. Like it's really a pain in the ass when you're trying to get somewhere and like every little like thing in the pavements fucking you up. Like it's, it's annoying. It so, and it annoying. was really loud. So back in the day I, I hated it. I really didn't like it. And then when I came out here, I moved out here. I just was like, ah, there's so many skate parks that are like just around and I would go to skate parks sometimes with like friends after longboarding and I would just sit there because I didn't know what to do. Like I could kind of carve around the bowl a little bit and like push around, but I like really wasn't always having a great time and I, I felt really limited. Like I was li limiting myself out of spite from like this like supposed beef that longboarders and skateboarders have. And then when I moved here, I decided to just learn it kind of like try it out and it went pretty quick like it's it's nice because it 
I really thought it would be super different, but it's not. It's it's a very similar feeling. You have like the same progression thing where you're learning like, you know, when you're longboarding, you're learning your heel side stand-ups and then your toe side stand-ups and your like 180s and speed checks and all that. And then it's the same with street skating, right? Like you're you're learning your backsides again, your backside 180s and your frontside 180s and your ollies and shove-its. It's, it's, it's very similar. There's obviously more to learn because it's, it's more complex. Yeah. But that progression feeling that I had where going out to a skate session, I'm actually learning something new again, was really refreshing. Because in longboarding, you get to, there's not actually that many like tricks, right? Yeah, there's like, not that much to do. You yeah. Like that's hill. like the joke, right? You, I turned left and right today. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Like you, you can do some slides, you can do 180, you can do a corner switch if you want. But like it, there's really not, it is a little limiting. Like the, the trick is that you did the run. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it's, it's kind of different for, for street skating. But yeah. I, I started like getting really into it. And, you know, the, there's so much history there and there's so much media. Like the culture is pretty different. Like they're, un, they're kind of in their own two spheres, longboard and street skate culture like Definitely. they kind of intersect at certain parts like we all love drinking <laughs> but we don't know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, that's the the venn diagram <laughs> of longboarding and street skating is four wheels uses wood booze <laughs> yeah I, I mean that's that's a, enough things to get people together yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure but uh yeah and right so I, I i would just you know go out and it's a little bit more achievable you just need a flat ground it's all yeah. you really need. Whereas like longboarding, you really got it, or especially downhill. Cause I didn't really do that much of the other longboard disciplines like dancing and stuff. But, um, for downhill, you need a hill, right? You yeah. got to find a mountain and then you also obviously kind of want corners. It's got to be dry or it doesn't have to be, but I, I, I nice. like it to be dry. <laughs> it's a lot nicer. Yeah. And so I think it was like easier for me to just pop out in between a study break real quick and, and just do some tricks and try to land a kickflip. And then, you know, you st- you land your first kickflip and you're like, okay, shit, this is so sick. Like yeah, yeah. I got to do more. And then, you know, there's always the next trick. It, it never ends really like absolutely. It just does not end. True. And I mean, even when it does end, people come up with new stuff, right? There's always a so new unique. trick. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, so creative, you can come up with any trick and then you do that trick in combination with something, right? You can like flip into a grind and, or grind and flip out of it and do this and that and do it on quarter and do it here. Like it, yeah, there's yeah. just, it's the possibilities really are endless and it's insanely creative and it's, yeah, I think that's like the main difference, right? It's like how you, how you look at spots or how you look at the, oh. let's see if I can give you a bit more height on the mic. <laughs> I think it's fine. I, you think so? I can hear. All right, all right. Um, so, right. Uh, Sorry. I think it's just like a little bit more creative in a way you, you have like, you show up to a spot like the the approach is very different, right? Like I think if I go out longboarding and I see the hill, you know, I'll think about what I, what slides I'm going to do, or if I'm going to slide or what lines I want to try, um, you know, maybe get spicy and try something switched, (laughs) but that that's like the extent. And when I show up to a street spot, like, I just sit there for a second, right? Because like you know, there's like a, a lot to take in, and like, what, what am I even? What can I even do here, right? And then you're kind of like going through your whole trick list in mind, and you're like, okay, well, can I do that there? Can I do this here? And then the the line kind of like pieces itself together, and you're you're spending a lot of time in this one area, this one spot, and you're just kind of utilizing that spot over and over. Whereas with longboarding, right? Like you, if you didn't get your line, you'll you'll come back, but. It, 
you're covering way more ground, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like this whole road it's, that you're trying to get down. If you messed up, it's like one corner in like a whole run, whereas your street skate spot, you're always doing the same trick on the same thing. Or not always right. doing the same yeah. trick, but um, yeah, and the, the same spot. It takes way longer, too. Like, that's one thing I've, I've really noticed. Like, yeah. You how, do you, how do you find the progression uh, versus like longboarding and, and skateboarding? I'd imagine picking up tricks is a lot harder than dialing in a slide or, or feeling comfortable in a corner. Yeah. Um, right. I think it's... It always obviously has to do with what your main discipline is or what your main sport is. So I started longboarding first and then I went into street skating. So I didn't actually have to learn the board feel aspect uh, when I started street skating. Like I just was comfortable on a skateboard, which is a huge help. Like, I mean, That's true. I, I think I would still be working on kickflips by now, I think, if I, <laughs> if I had started fresh because... You know, like landing on the board and not it not just coming out from under you is like very helpful, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's very different, like flip tricks and and spins and jumps. Like it's it's it is a different motion. But I have felt that getting better at street skating has also improved my longboard style. Yeah. Yeah, just because of like, if you're rotating regardless of if it's a slider if it's in the air it's the same motion right like you're you're moving your body so that the thing that's under your feet moves so you're like kind of doing the shoulder spin and then your feet yeah yeah. right so that was pretty similar and i think that really helped me out but you are right it is kind of different like i've had street skate friends like try my longboard and i and they're trying to power slide right like they're so used to like their 100 a wheels like <laughs> doing it immediately but Standing then exactly straight. but then you're on a lawn board and you're like oh, shit i gotta actually kind of go fast yeah <laughs> yeah you definitely to, need to some slide speed to slide it yeah so there's there's differences there <coughs> there definitely are um but they're not as as jarring or as big as i really thought they would be huh yeah. I've, I've always felt like they were huge but i've never put in the time to fully learn how to do ollies and whatnot yeah so i feel like maybe if i get past that it would be better yeah um one thing i am really curious about is the whole enjoyment piece of it um I think like as a, as a discipline, it is quite a different thing Mm -hmm. to do, like spend some time dialing in a trick versus going down a run. Mm -hmm. Where do you find the enjoyment in, in both of them? And how is it kind of different? Like is, is street skating more about the process of putting it together and the progression and longboarding more about the feeling of actually longboarding? Yeah. I think you actually nailed it right there. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's pretty close. Um, I think with longboarding, I think the main enjoyment I get out of longboarding right now where I'm currently at is seeing my friends. Like that's the best part, just like getting really close on runs with my homies. Like that, that is the best part. And I, although I really do like longboarding still, I wouldn't go out on my own anymore really that much. Cause it's like, I, unless it's like a brand new run or it's something really fresh, you know, I, I don't really get the enjoyment when I, when I do it solo anymore. Like I do really enjoy being like going down the hill with someone next to me behind me in front of me and you can like yell at them and yeah 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 shenanigans on the run like it's I've, just fun. i mean i've seen you get so outrageously close <laughs> yeah aiden and i are like <laughs> it's it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. he is my and i am his shadow <laughs> sometimes but yeah it, so, it just feels good like having that connection when when you're longboarding and yeah like you said street skating i think the satisfaction comes from actually finally sticking the line like yesterday i was out skating street and I was just trying to do it, it, it did, to me at first, it didn't seem like a very hard line, but you have to piece it together, right? Like I started with a manual and I went into like a trick down something and then you got to like 
you got to stick the line, right? You got to get the manual every single try. And then you've got another thing to do. (laughs) And then if you don't land that, you start from square one again. And it gets really frustrating. And you're sitting there and like, you're at this one single tiny spot somewhere and you're you're there for like an hour and a half and you're doing the same fucking shit all the time. (laughs) Over and over and over. Yeah. And then at some point you land it and you, you really just feel incredible. Like that feeling does feel a lot like the like adrenaline you get when you're like when you got a really good run or you like nail the line or yeah you had just like a really fun encounter or close encounter with your friends or something so it's it's a it's a it's an exciting kind of rush right yeah like there's parallels but you achieve them in different means a little bit i see yeah well, that's cool that's right. cool right um about the community i'm very curious um as to how as someone with kind of a foot in, in both worlds the skateboarding and the longboarding scene right. how do people treat uh, newcomers like Groms and how do people treat safety? I think those are two big things and I see a lot of like differences. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you, what you take. What yeah. You on that. Well, to start with the Grom thing, um, I think longboarders are very like, a, they're very welcoming to Groms and I think it's cause it's a very niche sport, right? Our community isn't actually that large and we haven't, we've been out of the like phase of increase, like, you know, for a while now. (laughs) And I don't think our scene has really, uh, increased by a lot since 2015 or something here. I think that, well, I I don't know here, but I think here it has. Yeah. But maybe in, maybe like in, in, I know in, in Germany, that's kind of when it died, like in Munich, like not a lot of longboarders anymore from what I've heard. And in, um, in Cali, it was like somewhat similar. Maybe I think a lot of people quit. Uh, not as many people are getting into it. Um, there was that huge boom in like 2012 and 2013 where like everyone was buying a longboard essentially. Yeah. It was yeah. just like the, the videos going viral. And right. Yeah. Like, hey, I want to do this. Yeah. Thing. And people just wanted to cruise. Like they didn't want to buy a skateboard and they still wanted to skateboard though. So they got longboards. Um, I think that, so now when like longboarders see Groms, they're like, Oh shit, you know, got to get this guy on board, <laughs> got to pick this guy up. And it's, it's really uplifting. It's, it's cool to see. Um, you know, it's not always super supportive, but I, nothing is always super supportive. That's like, true. No there's, discipline. There's, there's, there's always actors or, you know, people that aren't super into, uh, sharing their sport with yeah, of new course. people. Um, with street skating, I think it's very different because I mean, skateboarding has been popular since, I think since Tony Hawk, I think that's like a really good, uh, <laughs> that's a really since good benchmark, Hawk. right? Like early two thousands, uh, just got kind of swept up by the mainstream a little bit. And I know a lot of skateboarders don't like to say that and they don't want to admit that, but it is mainstream, it's super mainstream. especially now since COVID. I think I've seen like, I, I don't want to attribute it just to TikTok, but I think TikTok did a huge part in getting a bunch of new people that were stuck in quarantine, buying skateboards and wanting to skate. So I see way more people now. It is kind of awesome, right? It's cool. It is cool. Um, and you see like so many new faces, right? And like, I think the demographic of skateboarding has really shifted. Uh, I think a lot more, um, women are getting into it and a lot more queer, uh, skaters, which is super cool. Cause I like, it's just cool to see, um, not always the same faces at the skate park, right? You you actually like see someone who's different and, and they bring their own worldview and their different views to the table. I mean, the more you diversify a group of people, like you really only get benefits, right? You get so many different oh, ways to absolutely, yeah. especially when uh, skateboarding is stereotypically like a very masculine yeah. kind of exclusive. Yeah, and like culture. it's it's just like that, like <laughs> that, like toxic masculinity kind of that was like r- really 
prevalent in skateboarding is just like it's like hard to watch you know it's like it, kind of oh, really cringeworthy when you look at it now but like it, I, th- I think it's really good i, th- I think it, it yeah it's well, only benefiting skateboarding nowadays for sure. i see skateboarders as some of the most inclusive people right yeah it's getting it's really getting there it's cool so, uh, especially like certain parks you, you you see like hotspot parks where like the diversity is like really high like on campus ubc skate park seen a lot of different people come to skate there and share the space it's cool it's it's super sick but i don't think people are as like skateboarders street skaters aren't as quick to want to teach someone or get someone on board as longboarders are because there's so many of them yeah like it's not, it doesn't feel like oh shit this that's, might be yeah, our yeah, last grom true. ever <laughs> you know, we kinda, oh my god this yeah, kid actually yeah, enjoys yeah, doing yeah this? exactly yeah. but oh. yeah I, i'm the groms that are in longboarding now I mean, they shred. Obviously, They're here, insane. like our, the Grom scene here is fucked up. <laughs> They're so good, but yeah, like it, it's really cool to see. I think as as long as we support new people coming into it, we'll get new people coming into it. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, we we've definitely seen that with the current Groms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the a lot of people have been taken under the wing. Yeah. Uh, some incredible skaters, right, and uh, right. everyone's flourishing. It's really cool yeah, to see. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other part of that I wanted to touch on was the was the safety, right? So I think that's a a big kind of difference in the obviously oh yeah huge, obviously longboarding you you have to you have to wear a helmet like if you're not wearing a helmet and gloves like what the fuck are you doing get off the hill like yeah. it just makes no sense like I can't do it I literally feel naked like when I, I, see, I would not. when I see people like one of the wackest looks in my opinion is the gloves but no helmet. Oh, it's too like, much. What are you doing? <laughs> like, what the fuck? It just doesn't look right to me. I yeah, you gotta wear a helmet and gloves. I mean, obviously, like, be good to wear other stuff too. I I, I like seeing more and more um, people wearing knee pads and stuff like that. I wear G forms from time to time. Um, uh, G forms are knee pads, right? Right. Yeah. So like the sleeved knee pads you can wear under your pants. They're just like foam impact thing so just like when you when you make connection to the ground you can like get into the like safety position right quick and oh yeah it doesn't like hurt too much H- how have you found them to to work for you the g-forms yeah, good i've had the same pair since like 2014 which no is way. like unheard of apparently for g-forms <laughs> you got the one lucky pair <laughs> yeah i guess i yeah i think they're good i think they're great um for for street skating i actually don't wear a helmet most of the time and it's often because of like I, I feel like I should be, but I also have never hit my head. Yeah? No. Because I, I, I guess not really the street skate style I do. Like, I'm not doing, like, really huge shit. I, I, I don't like sending myself a big stair sets and stuff like that. Like, my, my knees don't. My knees can't take that. It's too much. It, it's just more like techie stuff, right? You're, like, on a ledge. The, the worst fall you'll have is, like, onto your ass and your, like, hands. Like, yeah. you just fall like that and you, like, roll. It's, it's really not. Like I, I, like I said, never hit my head. Knock on wood. Um, but was, like... Yeah, yeah, gotta be lucky. <laughs> you, obviously, you should. And I think people that do wear their helmets... Like, I see a lot of Groms here actually wear their helmet, yeah. which is pretty cool. I, I feel like Andy Anderson. Yeah, Andy, obviously, big guy. He <laughs> <laughs> the, the Weck interview recently. That was really funny. <laughs> Where Weck gave him shit for wearing a helmet. Like, But, like, ironically. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it's like it, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, Andy with the helmet, that's great. I think... Yeah, helmets are good. So helmets are helmets are good. They will save lives. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a huge like pushback against safety in in street skating. People do not like it. Like, I I kind of get it a little bit, but not really. Like I, I for me, often it's convenience. Like I just have my my deck on me, 
Yeah. And I don't want to have to carry my helmet. That sounds like such like whine, like it's like I'm whining about, it. but it, it's like, it's just easy to just have my board and then I don't really have to easy. carry my helmet around yeah. with me. And like, I, you know, I'm no, wearing I, a hat. I totally get so, that. Right. I just, I kind of just like blowing around. But yeah, like I said, as soon as it goes down a hill, I'm putting my helmet on yeah. and my gloves. I, sometimes I skate without gloves, rarely, but not without the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Anything downhill? Most of the time. Yeah. Like, unless I've like really forgot my helmet then I, I might do some slides. But I, I don't like going fast without helmet and gloves. It just, it's, it's a very feel unnerving naked. feeling. Yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. really naked. I <laughs> don't like the it. The wind in your hair, you're yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> so yeah. It's too much. Um, on, on the street skating, I'm very curious. Uh, what, what's the trick you're working on to learn right now? Is there anything that you've been when, uh, practicing, trying to get? Kind of. I really want to get a varial heel flip. Varial heel I flip. I think they're really cool. So a varial heel flip is a combination of a frontside shove it and yeah. then a heel flip. So your board like spins 180, but also does a flip. It's just a really cool looking trick in my opinion. I, I really like varials and my front shoves are pretty weak. <laughs> so having like a, a good front side flip trick would be really sick. Um, but it's a hard one. I don't know. That I, sounds I've, very I'm difficult. having a hard time. And I've seen people like bust them out and they, it looks effortless, but I, I just haven't really got the trick. Yeah, yet. yeah. Like I don't, I don't know what the, the strat is yet kind of. That's fair enough. But, but I mean, it just like, it takes a while. You just really have to commit time and just like grind it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a crazy thing to learn at all. Like the, the amount of control and like what has to happen for it to, to go well and then to do it consistently. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty incredible. Yeah. I think, I think really teched out flip tricks. Like a lot of, there's a lot of street skaters that actually kind of like almost refuse to flip their board really yeah like they just like do big stuff like huge ollies really big 180s nice shove it's gr mostly grinds and stuff like that and they, they skate every obstacle yeah. but they just like don't they don't, just they don't really kickflip ever or like do crazy flip tricks like it's it's very very similar to to longboarding in that everybody even you have this huge trick selection but it doesn't mean that you have to learn them all that's true. Like, you can just go I mean, down like a, 20 stairs with an ollie exactly. once you learn to ollie. Exactly. Like some people just learn to ollie and that's it. And they just vibe <laughs> with that. And dude, some of those skaters are some of the best skaters too. Cause yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keep it basic, but fucking make it like super hash. Like that, that's sick. And you know, there's a lot of flip tricks that are, uh, referred to as illegal tricks. Illegal. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, I, that was the best way to describe it. Sometimes they're like so complex and it's like, Oh my God, this is fucking insane. He can, dolphin flip <laughs> or some <laughs> shit you know they got like crazy names but like is it sick still like can you make it look good right like yeah. that's the problem with these like super hard tricks is like often they look like shit because <laughs> like they're really hard <laughs> you know so hard, you, hard to make something so difficult right would good. you would you rather have like a flawless kickflip or would you like to be able to do a really mids hard flip that's like up to the skater kind of right yeah that's true yeah that's true yeah, uh, yeah there's so many ways to skateboard it mm -hmm. i guess it is a very individual pursuit right and you know some people don't street skate at all they just skate transition some like <laughs> i don't skate transition at all <laughs> i just like street skating uh so when you say transition would that be the ramp with, with yeah, the vertical so, at the end right so like transition i mean i don't even know how you would like define transition completely but it is that like i mean it's transition is referring to the transition of like vertical to flat okay yeah. kind of so like quarter pipes half pipes mini ramps a lot of like bank stuff some people call transition but i've i've heard some people not referring to that as transition totally. as long as it like i think it's like 
maybe the role is that it has to have coping. Like I said, I don't skate transition. I, I don't actually really know that much about no, it. That's but fair, that's fair. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. One, one thing I would love to dig into has been, has been skateboarding trips. I yes. think you've been around a little bit for some different adventures. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd love to start with is is uh, Big Iron, but I'd love to hear if there's any other ones you've been on as well. I yeah, think. I mean, I was on a road trip to Giant's Head before I moved up here. And yeah, that was like that was probably one of the best road trips I've ever had. Was that like, the one where Jake showed you around? No, well, Jake showed me around when I moved here. Okay, right. So I came up here with. Uh, a friend from back home in California and we drove from California up the West coast to Vancouver. And, um, yeah, on the way I skated like a couple of things, saw a lot of cool things. It was mostly to like, like I went to the, uh, national parks, I saw the redwoods, saw general Sherman, which was pretty cool. Um, which is like the biggest tree, right? Like the biggest tree. Yeah. His name's general Sherman. Just got a name. Kind of weird. That's a military name. <laughs> I don't know if I like that, but yeah, he, he's got a name. Um, yeah, I saw a bunch of really cool stuff. Like, it was the first time I'd been to Oregon and the first time I've been to Washington, too. So, I, I saw Portland. I saw Seattle, which was really cool. And then I, I came up here to Vancouver. I met up with Turner, <laughs> Boarding Media, <laughs> and James Gilchrist, uh, who was working on Super Kooks at the time, which was, like, his documentary. Yeah. Um, Did that ever come out? I don't know. I don't I, think did, so. Wasn't so, there a Parkades part? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge project, right? Like, he, I mean, he went on the Euro tour. He yeah, yeah. To, like, okay. he, was, he was everywhere. Like, I, I, I don't actually know if it's out yet. I got to ask We'll James. have to see. We got to see James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James, when are you releasing Super Cooks? <laughs> Please. But, um, yeah, I, I came up, got to Vancouver, and I stayed at the Stoop. Yeah? Yeah. Super, like, <laughs> I didn't have a place, and I didn't actually know where to stay at all. Like, I, I really came into Vancouver with zero plans, and then... Turner told me, he's like, yeah, I'm at the stoop. <laughs> just come through. And I slept on the floor. It's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, I, just bought, I bought beer and toilet paper for the, the guys there. And they they're, they're like, was yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we were there for Giant's Head. So I obviously went to Giant's Head first time after seeing it for years. Like, I, I remember watching the 2012 Land Yachts Giant's Head video. And like, oh, yeah, yeah. Those I are classic. Go those are classic. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it so sick. And it was super sick. I, it was one of the best. It is one of the best skate events. That road is heinous. And it's just so fun. Like, everyone's sending it down. And there's, like, constantly shit being thrown at you, right? Like, yeah, the pine cones? Literally and figuratively, right? <laughs> like, you come around first corner. And there's a fucking dirt wall that you can hit. And then one straight later, there's just gravel everywhere on the road. Like, yeah, there's yeah. always something. And there's constantly some random shit going down. Like, people are falling. People are trying to pass others and like it's super narrow all the corners are really unique and the the camping was sick like it was super fun and that was the year of the chips so chip year chip year that's pretty infamous yeah the infamous chip year uh for, for people who who don't know how did the chips work right so you would you would register and i think you got three chips when you registered so you had these like tiny little poker chips with the little uh giant's head homie on there and was it the giant <laughs> on the other side and you could essentially just bet on anything like you could be like yo race me tomorrow for chips that was like the i think what they wanted you to the do intended purpose but it immediately boiled down to yo eat some dirt for chips <laughs> like, <laughs> people <were> just like, <laughs> eating off the ground <laughs> like eating random shit climbing up trees and 
fucking getting naked and fighting each other like that shit was hilarious like it was lawless <laughs> sounds a little hectic yeah and then they also said that you could potentially steal chips and then the whole game just boiled down to a huge game of grand theft auto essentially <laughs> and like <laughs> wait how how late into like the release of the chips was it known that you could steal them I think it was like day one. Day one. Oh, yeah. Dang. They. I mean, like they asked. Right we asked, it. and they were just like, "There's no laws." And There's like, no laws. Oh shit! And then they also introduced a a single like wheel core, I think, that was like worth thirty chips or something. And that, I mean, after that, all hell broke loose because then everybody just wanted that fucking wheel core, <laughs> like, like, the singular core. Yeah. I know Colin had it for a really long time. So yeah. Kind of how I met Colin a little bit. Like okay. And it was like scoping out because I was a uh, hanging out with the. SoCal guys mostly. So that was Shane, Cole, Turner, and then they had met Dylan um, on the way up. So Dylan was with them. Then Dylan's friend who had the RV, I'm blanking on his name, but he's the homie. Um, and Spud. Spud hung out with us too. Spud. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, Vic also was hanging out with us. Um, I think, I don't think Vic met up with them, but. She was with us in the mix, <laughs> definitely. It's the first time I met Vic too. Uh, was at Giants Head. Whoa, okay. yeah. Um, so, you know, Cole was taking this so seriously. <laughs> like he really wanted to win this, and you know. It, oh, the the chip competition. Yeah, we were all just trying to funnel chips into him, essentially. And it was oh, like, was this it, like the make like, Cole win? Yeah, it got like, really clicky. You had like Aww. the Prism and Caliber guys, like <laughs> pre Cole being on Prism. Um, trying to get their chips and then you had the Vancouver guys with Colin trying to fucking ruffle the whole thing up and then you, had, the core. you had Cole literally doing whatever to get <laughs> chips he was climbing up trees he almost ate a pine cone oh my god yeah Colin wanted him to eat a pine cone yeah. How, how many <laughs> chips for a pine cone to be eaten? Do you I remember? I can't remember. Uh, Two, not enough. Not, not <laughs> enough. could have never been enough. <laughs> That's fucking foul. Yeah, yeah. That is... Yeah. Yeah, I, it was it was crazy. It was super hash. It was really fun. Um, I actually met, but didn't like. I was in the same room as Aiden and Lazar. You know, I was in the same room as the homies that I have now, but I didn't know them and I didn't talk to them. But pre homies knowing, yeah, homies. we were present in the same room. It was pretty wild. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, you just connected like way before the times. Right, and then right after uh, coming back from Giants Head back in Vancouver. I, I, I had already known that I was going to move here and go to UBC. So I was just trying to network and trying to make friends. So I immediately was just like, yeah, I'm, this is my name. I'm moving here in like three, four weeks. I will find you. <laughs> we'll hang out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it worked so fast. Like when I did end up moving out here, I, I actually, perfect timing, arrived on a Thursday didn't even unpack. No way. I literally just set up my board and went to parkades, and then boom, that was it. That's how I met Jake, met Sam, met Aiden, Lazar. Every, well, Lazar was in Serbia at the time. Was but, in Serbia. Yeah, and then OG Day came, and they had me. OG Day I was, was fun. I was with everyone on OG Day, and that was like pretty. I was in pretty quickly. Yeah, Felt yeah. really good. <laughs> Definitely, I, yeah. you just melded right in. Yeah, Get right in. <laughs> it happened really fast. <laughs> no, it's great. It was great. Uh, how how was that first parkades night? I would love. I would love. <laughs> so hash, like. <laughs> The thing with parkades is that I think every scene has their own garage nights or garage sessions. So in LA, we have Gel Lab. Shout out to Ari for holding that bitch down for like 10 years now, I think. And it's very different, right? We like we, we go downtown on Wednesdays and we meet up at like midnight and then we skate a singular garage until like 3 a.m. You just don't get kicked out because there's only one camera 
and huh. so everyone's just chilling on the bottom floor and it's a little bit more like stationary whereas parkades you know it's a fucking free-for-all that's what super it dynamic like. yeah <laughs> like you're in a new garage everyone's running around people are getting kicked out like the garages are actually like kind of hard to skate if you haven't skated them before like some they, of them definitely oh, are yeah. really challenging and i kept on eating shit and it was super fun but i was like really bloody but but i had a great time i mean it was like the perfect first night experience like just going through downtown vancouver at night having beers and eating pizza and smoking weed and it's, like it's pretty magical <laughs> like it's it's super fun like yeah it was great i had i had that was like the perfect first night for vancouver i think couldn't have been better it's it, it was it, it just worked out yeah honestly it's, it really it's kind of awesome <laughs> i'm glad it did yeah yeah me too me too yeah uh i'm curious do you have any favorite memories from a uh, big iron oh yeah <laughs> a lot <laughs> yeah i mean big iron was crazy i think that was the first time i had gone anywhere oh, else also, in sorry. bc do you think you could also give background as to what big iron is right for, for people that <laughs> probably yeah. don't know the non-skaters um yeah so big iron was a a road trip we did um heavily inspired by the um what's it the you know big iron fucking martin marty wow what's the dude who sings big iron i'm blanking so hard right now uh, marty robin i'm not sure i don't have my oh. phone this is whoever sung big iron fucking disgraceful with a big iron (laughs) yeah so we kind of were like we gotta do this road trip um i hadn't seen interior bc i hadn't actually seen anything of bc other than like golden ears and i think princeton yeah yeah so it was just Vancouver, I mean, Princeton, and Golden Ears. Those are some nice spots, though. Yeah, they are. I gotta say, <laughs> pretty <laughs> like, beautiful. I was like, well, I gotta see some new stuff. Oh yeah, obviously I saw Summerland because I was up in, in um, uh, Giant's Head. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the the road trip was kind of like our our goal. Like we we came out we came up with a route that kind of like went through Summerland, Silver Star, Revelstoke, Ashcroft, to Lillooet, to Vancouver. I think that was the I think that was the route. Um so like a loop over the course of like a little over a week I think with the main uh attraction being um Revelstoke Meadows in the Sky. And that was actually I think Revelstoke was my favorite night. Like that was I think my best memory cuz like we pulled up and all you hear about this road cuz there's no like footage really of it. There's not a lot of raw run or there's no raw runs. I can't really. really? Yeah. I I bet there are. Like I think some dude at the stoop one time was like, yeah, I got this like, GoPro footage of Meadows in the Sky. Check it out. It was on his Facebook, like 10-year-old Facebook video. But like, it's it's an insane run, right? Like, it's like 30 minutes. Yeah, it, it sounds it takes, ridiculous. It takes 30 minutes to get down. And it's it's not 30 minutes of like you fucking dilly-dallying down the road. It's like 30 minutes of like 85K plus and with like sections that like get close to 100K. And past 5 p.m., it's it's a one-way down. It's, yeah. It cr- closed traffic. It's incredible. Like it was, it was seriously incredible. It was like the best. I think this is, it's like one of my favorite runs. I think it is my favorite run ever. Like yeah. it's, it's so sick. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the scenery must have been amazing. Yeah, too. no, it's, it's ridiculous. Like being on, just being on a run for that long is, is crazy. And like, you know, for, for all the forestry heads, uh, it's actually like pretty impressive. You, you, there's such an elevation change that you actually shift through four different Beck zones, which are like forest classification zones. Yeah. So there's so much like, change in in forest condition from the top to the bottom that the forest has to adapt four different times it's crazy that's kind of amazing <laughs> Man, i mean i had no idea it was called a beck zone yeah biogeoclimatic uh classification unit it's like a thing that bc guys came up with 
I think, or actually, I think it was a Hungarian. I think it's like a, a mix between a Hungarian forester and a and a British Columbia forester. You know what? That's that's amazing yeah. knowledge right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do Do you have any um, any favorite memories of of the Little Iron or the the Little Sexy Iron. in the City? Oh, Sexy in the City. <laughs> Those tour. are some great memories. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy in the City tour was epic. So Sexy in the City tour was the home girl Vic came through to Vancouver and um, as an Edmonton skater. Uh, I don't know that much about the Edmonton skate scene or the downhill scene, but it seems like y'all only have like two runs. <laughs> Not to, no, no front, but yeah, I mean, Vic came out and I had told Vic that she's going to lose her fucking mind when she comes out. Cause like all the, and, and Sam has told her too, for as long as they know each other. I think. Yeah. yeah a minute. Um, I mean, the runs out here are crazy. We got so many and it was just, we had so much planned, right? Like Vic came out and we went, we went to Bowen, we skated in West Van, we skated at UBC on the first day, we went everywhere, we went so many places, and I think, I, I can't even choose like a favorite moment, like Bo- Bowen, the Bowen day was great. Bowen was really fun. Like, swimming after skating, it was so hot too, like, it was we during were the heat cooking wave. that day. Right, it was during the heat wave. Wasn't it smoky? Yeah, no, 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 that was, that was uh, the Bowen before. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah, it was amazing, like, I, I had such a good time. Obviously, Vic, please come back. Please move out here. Please. <laughs> shout yeah. out to Vic. Yeah. <laughs> Big shout out to Vic. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I am kind of curious to get into setup a bit. Right. I am I am uh, curious about what trucks you skate, what skateboard you skate. I know you have a few different setups. Right. Yeah. So you got your, your downhill skateboard, yeah. your more free ridey one. And then uh, my, my quiver is kind of like it's on a spectrum a little bit so i got like my downhill board and i got my street deck and then i have shit to fill the in between so ironically it's called the overland because that's exactly what it is but um that's like the board i kind of ride the most or i used to at least um for any like free ridey thing i i fuck with paris super hard i mean paris trucks is like just buy paris like if you need trucks just buy paris Paris. just buy savants 165 it's the easiest purchase you can make. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's going to be the best. Um, yeah. Love Paris trucks. I ride them at a tiny split and a 50, 43 split. So just the base plate angles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I switch. I switch base plate angle with someone else. So, yeah. So Great it's investment. A, yeah. It's a stock base plate. I, I highly recommend that for everybody who wants savants because you can still ride them switch. You really can't feel it, but they do feel a little bit more stable yeah. when you have the 43 in the back. Does, when you're going switch, does it whip around a bit more or does it really tiny feel? bit, but it, you really can't feel it. Like okay. I I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I can't feel, well, I know I can't feel it and I'm pretty convinced that other people won't be able to feel it. <laughs> That's fair. And you, yeah. you've gotten pretty dialed on it. Yeah. I mean, I love that board right now. Wheels. Normally I've been riding Powell wheels a lot on it. So whenever I switch, uh, Kevos from my main downhill board, once they get small, I put them on that or snakes. Right now, I have dragon skins. I've been riding those dragon skins. The Dargy Scarns. <laughs> a little bit of a curse to Yeah, t- tiny bit of controversy there. But uh, but I don't think we can, that's going to be a topic for another yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, dragon skins, mine are great. Mine are okay. Thank you, <laughs> No Kevin. issues with my dragon skins, Kevin. Thank you. Anyway. Um, but... Um, uh, I, I was also very curious about your your thoughts on your downhill skateboard, on the, on the right. Ronins. How do you so, feel about those? I've been riding Ronins for a bit, and... I kind of always refused to do the like mini, mini trucks. Like I still kind of do. I don't think I'm ever going to go below 124 mil. Maybe I will. I don't know. But right now it doesn't doesn't seem like it. 
And so I've been riding, uh, I started riding Ronin's at like 164 mil and kind of annually I go down by 10 millimeters. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a whole year. <laughs> but yeah, right now I'm on 134 millimeter and I used to have a 30 plate and I always rode a 30 plate because I really like the free ridey feel. But recently I felt like it's limiting a little bit. So I've, I'm back on a 25. So I ride the, the standard run and split the 45-25. Um, downhill wheels, always ride Magnums. Kind of. Magnums. <laughs> if I can, I ride Magnums. Um, other wheels that are insanely good are Amio wheels. Yeah, I love Amio. I fucking love Amio. Shout out Amio. to the homie yeah. Ed. Yeah. Big shout out to Ed. <laughs> yeah, those those are those are great wheels. Like, they're not as um, I would say like competitive wheels because like you know if you're in that size of wheel like seven what is it seventy I would say seventy six seventy seven mil upwards is like its own class of wheel kind of yeah the big like the seventy eight mils which is the um, magnums you got the 80.5 alphas you got huge kegels like all these like really big wheels are their own thing i like i i I ride magnums when it comes to big wheels but whenever i wanted something a little bit smaller like around a 76 mil to 74 i always ride omios omios they're just so good like they really are the akashas especially akashas yeah are are those the square lift ones yes the akashas are the white ones with the white kegel core and specifically the inset ones that are uh that have skin okay not, not the stone ground ones okay okay that's like that's yeah, a cool write that down. <laughs> yeah jot that down important info yeah it is for real for real <laughs> yeah no those are those are really good wheels um the board i've been riding i always rode a chop of like a root witchcraft which is like a really old uh german brand that isn't around anymore unfortunately yeah yeah and the witchcraft was my co-worker yannick lado his like pro model kind of so I like I was kind of realistic. Looked up to him a lot, and that board is really cool. It used to be huge. I chopped it. It's really good. And now recently, I've actually been skating a chopped Gambler Dexter Manning's first board. Yeah. Yeah, and that is super sick because it has a tiny little kicktail, so I, I can like kick. get off curbs and shit like that, and like do little stuff. Do little ollies. And it's still it's too small for ollies, I think, but it's it's at least like a little bit functional. It's yeah. a functional kicktail. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm I'm very curious as to how you do your uh, grip tape art. Right. Okay. So for my street deck, I have kind of always done art on it. Um, I like to quote Nora on it, Nora Vasconcelos. She said that every single board that she doesn't do grip on is kind of a waste of a board. And I 100% agree because <laughs> it's like a little arts and crafts project. You know, yeah, yeah. like it, 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 it makes you more excited to set the board up and Obviously, it's a nice way to be creative and have a little bit of a creative outlet. And I use uh, acrylic markers. Um, So I started off using a couple of different techniques. I used to like to draw on the grip tape first and then cut it up and then stick it. Like either I did it as like squares and then I would do it like as a checkerboard. But recently, I've been a little bit more about just drawing it on the um, just the grip tape and then like doing like one cut or something in it to like separate the grip tape a little bit so you can see the wood. Um, yeah. And like all of them are very heavily plant, like ecology inspired, like all the stuff I draw. I mean, the 
most of the little stuff I draw are like insects or leaves. Yeah. And like flowers or whatever. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of yeah, flowers. Yeah, those are, those are like trees. my favorite. And then recently I've been trying a little bit of some different stuff. My most recent board I did is like, I got really into it. It's like a tiny little, it's like, it's the water and nutrient cycle that forests go through. Yeah? Yeah, so um, I was, when I draw a plant, I like to give, you know, they're not very it's hard to like personify a plant, right? Cause you don't really know like where even is its brain if it has one kind of. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was like draw a tiny little like seed yeah. right where the shoot and the roots meet. It's kind of like, in my opinion, where the brain would be. I, okay. I think that's like my guess. <laughs> and then from there, like I, I drew some like strands going up, strands going down, kind of the root to shoot. Drew some like water in. So like the water's going up the plant. Cause like, you know how, you know, the, it's called the SPAC. It's a uh, soil plant air continuum. Okay. Or, no, I, soil plant atmosphere continuum. It's like how water moves out from the soil up through the plant, through the leaves into the atmosphere. Whoa. Yeah. So I kind of like drew that in and then I added some uh, BC wildlife kind of or PNW wildlife. I drew like a little bear in and I have a little uh, fish sticker at the bottom. So the bear had just eaten the fish. And <laughs> so those nutrients are getting soaked up by the tree. And then there's like a little eagle and shit so whole it, life cycle yeah it, i got really into it and I, it's super fun i i think it's a really cool way of expressing yourself and i think one of my favorite parts is like being at a skate park skate park or at a spot and you see people looking at your board right yeah and you yeah. always know that's your board no one's gonna be like no. hey look at the other 12 skateboards with this <laughs> exactly. normal black, grip just black grip. <laughs> and like more and more people are i think doing that they're like i i really like seeing people like getting really creative with their boards it's it's cool because yeah, yeah. it's like afterwards when you when you're done with the board you there's some value there right you don't want, just want to toss it totally you can like, put up i was hanging up or, uh, yeah, yeah really yeah, cool yeah. artworks also a uh, shout out to cullen for some incredible oh my god yeah incredible <laughs> grip i mean he's art. like the master of the collage grip like there's different different approaches there's like the you, you draw on your grip and you you treat it like a canvas there's yeah, people yeah. that treat it like a collage and i mean cullen's like ridiculously good at that they're like, super cool yeah it's it's really impressive <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I have a little bit of a mindset question for you. Right. Um, I've, I've seen you fall and, and really, <laughs> oh, yeah, you have seen me fall. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in the way of like, when you do, you always get back up really quickly in yeah. a way I've seen you almost get like mad about it. Yeah. And then when you do it again, you're very focused and you do it clean. Yeah. So. I'm curious how you get into that mode because for me, when I fall, I feel like I, it's, it's easier for me to fall into the anxiousness mm -hmm. and you get more in your head about it yeah. instead of really tuning in and, and doing what you need to do to feel confident. Right. I guess my mindset behind it is, is I don't want to, <laughs> sounds stupid, but I don't want to waste the adrenaline because yeah. when you fall, obviously your brain's like, holy shit, you <laughs> just fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Time, yeah. Buddy. <laughs> you don't feel it yet. And then uh, I'd rather in that quick time, just get back at it real quick and then just get it done with. Yeah. And then your last experience wasn't you failing. Your last experience was you actually right, like, you know, getting it, getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. You fucked up on. And it's super important for me. I think it's what like, I can't remember who told me. I think it was my mom. She said, you shouldn't that like, you shouldn't have the failure as your last experience. Of yeah. it. Like you got to get back at it gotta like right then and there, especially if you have the adrenaline, you don't feel the pain yet. Yeah. Like my fall at bone. I think yeah, that's, that's what you were referring to. <laughs> yep. I just had to get on immediately because I knew it was going to hurt a lot. A little bit later yeah, so yeah, i just yeah. wanted to do it and i, I got through it you did <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was yeah. really cool to see yeah um 
uh, I mean, definitely not cool to see you fall. Yeah, it was that scary. was really really scary um, on on the run on Bowen Island. But right, right. I, I was beyond impressed. You mm-hmm. you you flew into this ditch. Yeah, going I to check out very. Fast. What was it? Wanted to check out the microbiome of the ditch a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. And flew headfirst into the ditch off the road. Wasn't immediately, you just got back up. You were like, "I'm gonna do it again." Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm glad I did. Uh, that I don't know why, but that road is like that's like my arch nemesis i have a really a hard time scary running. road and it's like not even that hard of a run but it's that one corner and I, I just haven't figured out the line yet and whenever we go i it's like a one and done i was just do it once yeah so i don't have i, I can't come back right after and like get it right i feel like yeah and yeah often i just like fuck up and it's not fun <laughs> it's definitely not fun flying into a dish that fast um i i i want to change gears a little bit just a little bit. We've been we've been going on about skating for a while now. Yeah, there's a lot to say about skating. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to say about skating for sure. Um, but before we touch on on plants and ecology, yeah, uh, go for it. I just poured you some tea. There's a bit of this uh, creamer as well, if you'd like. No, it tastes really good. Um, so I was curious, uh, what what were you like as a as a young Finn? Like how how did how did your expectations for life and like your dreams change over, like? from being in Germany to going to the States to coming here, how has that like changed to get you to where you are now? It's a big question. Um, I don't know. Like I wasn't the like granola personality before for sure. Like, I mean, I grew up around forests for sure. And they're a huge part of my childhood, but I didn't know shit about forestry back then. Like I, I couldn't have even back then I couldn't even have told you what, type of tree it was like I, at the very beginning I, I had I thought conifer was a species of tree like I I just didn't know shit like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't actually know shit for a really long time like even until after high school like it wasn't something that's always been on my mind yeah I yeah. mean you gotta specialize in it to really learn it right and I mean I, I went through a lot of change like I never really knew what I was gonna do throughout high school and yeah. I, I went to community college and I switched majors like four times. Like really? Yeah. Yeah. So like, what were you doing before? Right. I was, so my, my backup plan always was being a philosophy major. Yeah. Cause my dad told me like, son, <laughs> <laughs> you have to have, you have to take one philosophy course. And I, I mean, I give that advice to everyone yeah. as well. Like I just forward that one. It's great. Like it's super important just teaches you how to think kind of yeah it's like cool like you know i think and no one's right which is nice you know no one can actually tell you you're you're wrong really in that field in in to some extent like yeah you know you can you can make false conclusions and you can like jump to conclusion very easily within philosophy but um it's very open right like yeah there's a lot of space to 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 yeah. Show your ideas. Mm-hmm. And I, I always wanted to do that kind of, that was always my backup, but I was also going to be a language teacher. I wanted to be a German language teacher. Yeah. So I went, I took an education class and I was in the education major for a little bit at community college and it was cool, but I just like kind of lost interest a little bit. That's and fair like, enough. Although I do like teaching now, I have to say, like yeah. education is looking kind of mighty fine again, but <laughs> At the time, I was like, nah, fuck this. I can't, I can't do this. And I, I was a video production major. I, I switched you did majors. video production? Yeah, all the time. Like, really? Yeah, like in high school, uh, my video production teacher was a total G. Like <laughs> Dr. Coleman, he's the homie. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Big Coleman. name. You're not going to see this. but <laughs> like, Yeah, such a sick guy. And like 
I, I edited all my skate videos in class. Yeah. And he would let me. Oh, that's He was so like, sick. well, this is your video production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you do. This is the videos you produce. So go ahead. And I love that. So I went into video production. I took a couple of editing classes and, and some other stuff. And it was cool, but I didn't see myself wanting to do it professionally. I was like, I can make videos. Like, that's something I can just do. Like, yeah, you, I, I don't, you don't need I a school need to. to uh... <laughs> and like people that are going into it, don't get me wrong. Like, it's, it's a huge field and you, there's so much to learn. It's incredible, but yeah. it, it was just well, not for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can do it as a hobby or right. something you enjoy mm-hmm. your whole life and never need to like know every nitty gritty detail. Yeah, or... exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, Plus, it's... I didn't. I, I, I couldn't see myself in the like, was it like in showbiz or you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, I, sitting I, down in front of a I computer working on a movie scene. sixteen hours. Yeah, no, for like no. Two months like, or something. I mean, it's cool, but like, I just not. Yeah, yeah, it's not for no, me. totally. Yeah. Um. That is actually something I'm I'm really curious about. I would love to, to ask you uh, in a second, but mm-hmm. um, I'm 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 kind of curious. What what do you hope to do going forwards now? Like now now you're in forestry, right? I, you're you have a vision for helping the planet, for learning <laughs> about uh, more sustainable practices. Do right. you, are you saying like you want to go into teaching, become a professor? What what's kind, it look like? For not you? a professor, but um, I do want to kind of teach. So like currently I'm. TAing, the teaching assistant. Yeah. And I've been involved in the like tree inventory process on campus a lot now, uh, over the past couple of years. So I do want to continue with that. I think it's it's like a really important thing to do, like tree inventories. They have so many purposes and there's so many benefits you get from it. And a lot of it is not even just like science, it's like like social benefits you're getting out of it. Now I I want like my goal, I guess would be to spread awareness of like trees and like natural processes and like the nature that's just around us. Cause like, I feel like we've been like really disconnected. Oh, absolutely. Obviously like I, it's, it's, it's a false dichotomy though. Like humans versus nature is like, that's already like a, you know, contradiction yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or part of nature. Exactly. So like if I can, obviously I think the the easiest way to spread that awareness is through teaching so I, I guess that's kind of like what i want to get into but not only like i I'd, i also would like to just like work as an urban forester or as like an arborist okay yeah that's cool yeah <laughs> um I, I i respect that there's there's definitely a lot to learn there's so much oh, yeah. <laughs> so much that yeah. uh most people have no idea about i have mm-hmm. no idea about right so i've got i've got some questions for you as well yeah um I am I am kind of curious. I guess to start us off on this discussion about plants, I have an idea as to how this works, but I'm I'm really curious as to how how plants stand up. Like how how do they actually how do they do it? Stand. <laughs> well, okay. So <laughs> there's two d- different distinctions, kind of, for like structural integrity of plants. So the main one is called Tuger pressure. So as you might know, uh, plant and animal cells are quite different. <laughs> They've evolved quite differently. Whereas animal cells are like essentially this gunk that yeah. sticks together and moves. <laughs> Plant cells actually have cell walls. Yeah. So they're rigid and they have this little thing in the cell called the vacuole. And it's just, a, it's, it's essentially a, a water balloon. Yeah. <laughs> they fill it up with water and it, it, it expands and that's how the plant gets rigid and that's how it stands. So, you know, when your, your plants get all fucking mopey, it's because they don't got any water. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any tuger pressure. So... I guess that's how plants stand. And then other plants like trees who actually produce wood. Yeah. I mean, that's like super in depth. I mean, wood essentially is dead cells. So xylem and phloem is, are the two components that actually make up wood. Yeah. 
and they're just a bunch of straws. So all these cells, they form and they make these really, really long straws called xylem straws. Xylem straws. And then they die. <laughs> it's programmed cell death. Okay. So their, their actual purpose is not when they're alive. It's when it's dead. Yeah. And then that these xylem straws are coated in this substance called lignin. Lignin. And it's just, it, it, it hardens. Okay. It, so it's really structural. And uh, yeah, so... I mean, the best way to kind of like visualize it is, you know, when you chop a tree and you got a cookie, right? Yeah. You got the ring. You can count the rings. That's xylem. So every single time, every year, a plant will make more and more of that. Yeah. It has like this ring where all its meristem cells are. And to the inside, it makes xylem. To the outside, it makes phloem. Essentially the same thing. Xylem moves primarily just water. Phloem is smaller and moves like nutrients that are dissolved in water. Okay. Um, yeah, so, and then the xylem, like, each year, this ring produces more xylem towards the inside, and then it moves out, and out, and out, and in the spring, obviously, a lot of water, so those tubes need to be really big, because there's yeah. a lot of water going through it, and then in the winter, it, it constricts, and that contrast of there being more wood than whole, yeah. is what that little dark ring is, and that's, oh. that is how you count the years, <laughs> right? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, so that's... That's called dendrochronology. Dendrochronology. Yeah, dendro is ring, chronology, time. So okay, yeah, yeah. It's like, and I mean, those techniques are incredible. There's people that can look at a cookie and they can tell you exactly at what year there was a forest fire or some kind of pest outbreak. Wow. They can just read the tree. It's, it's incredible. That's like, really cool. Yeah. Huh. And they tell us like, I mean, you can, a tree is essentially just a climatic summary of that point in time or of that, of that area. Yeah. You know, because it, it just reacts. They're reactionary beings, yeah. right? Like uh, conditions kind of impose and... on it. And then it, it expresses that uh, condition through its like own set of characteristics. And people that can read those trees are going to like big trees are super important for us because they tell us so much about previous climate and where we have to get back to in climate change, essentially. Whoa. Yeah. So, so like a lot of like pr a lot of climate jargon is like. They say pre-industrial levels, and that essentially refers to where we were at before the Industrial Revolution. And we we get that information from trees or ice cores or, you know, like Whoa. other ways. So you can you can go back far enough in time to see what the climate conditions were like yeah, from the, the growth of trees. If the tree's old enough, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. No way. And that's how we've been piecing together, like, fire regimes over the past couple years, uh, especially before, like, things like that were actively recorded. Um and I say this as like in a Western science context, because like indigenous knowledge, I mean, they've, they've had uh, documentation of fire regimes for, I mean, millennia. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's like ancestral knowledge. It's like so much more fleshed out and way more in tune. Oh, way more in tune than, way than Western tune. science. So but it's, yeah. it's cool that people are starting to learn about We're getting it there. <laughs> We're Western getting science there. is slowly getting there. <laughs> slowly catching yeah. up. So I'm, I'm curious what it is about botany and plants that you find really interesting. What is it about like a plant that's like, wow, look at that thing. That, they just like trip me out, man. Like, cause they're alive, right? Yeah. But they're so different. They're so different. <laughs> you know, you, you can't like, I'm always just curious, right? You can like somehow relate to animals, right? Yeah. Cause you can like literally look them in the eye <laughs> and just be like, okay, you're, I see you perceiving me. Like, yeah. you know, but trees are so different or any plant as a matter of fact, yeah. they like pick this one spot <laughs> and they're like, all right 
this is it. This is it. This <laughs> is as good as it gets. <laughs> and they just chill there. And they do such cool things too, you know? Like, I mean, there, there's so many intricacies and so many like beautiful little processes that go along, uh, that like happen within trees and plants. And it's just really fascinating. And I think they're really great. And I mean, oxygen's pretty fucking sick, you know? Uh, not <laughs> like a they, bad thing they, to have. They do give us <laughs> the shit we breathe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's it's amazing. Right. Trees, trees are are pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I heard I heard you mention this, and uh, I am curious to get into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering what is a tree inventory? Right, the big one. The big one. The quite. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I, I have no idea. So like, I mean, you know what an inventory is, right? Like, like just of anything. You yeah. Can do, take an inventory of whatever, right? Totally. Like if you have take the inventory of the dishes upstairs right now. <laughs> Literally, what's on this table or whatever. You know, yeah. like it. But a tree inventory. Um is specifically talking about trees in a certain area. So you essentially, there's, there's many different methods and there's many different purposes, but when you boil it down, you're essentially cataloging trees within an area and you can have a complete inventory where you go to every single tree in that area. You can have a sample, partial inventories, stuff like that. Um, the one at UBC is a complete tree inventory and Sorry. But uh, yeah, the complete tree inventory is kind of like we go out on campus and we map all the trees and then students go out and they measure them as part of a course okay. within urban forestry. So uh, I took that class. It's, it was one of the degree requirements. Um, and yeah, you get you basically get assigned the site on campus and you, you go around and you get all the tools. You have like a, a diameter tape. Uh, you get this really cool laser rangefinder where you like yeah shoot a tree with a laser and then you can like shoot the top and the bottom and tells you how tall it is. No Here's way. Trigonometry. It's really cool. cool. Yeah, just regular measuring tapes and you you go through it and you you measure all the characteristics like how tall is the tree, what's its diameter, like how wide is it, um, what's its crown width, uh, how complete is the crown, like the foliage, um, how many le- like sides are exposed to light. Um, it's called a CLE crown light exposure crown light rating. Exposure. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you, if you have a cube, essentially like imagine a cube over a tree Yeah. and then how many, how many lights many? actually get, or how many sides actually get light. Um, yeah. And so I was super into that. It was really cool. Cause I, I felt like I was kind of like connecting to the trees that were on campus through that. Cause yeah. I like was, you know, getting kind of like. Not intimate, but you, you like measure them and you're looking at them way more than you would if you're just passing through the space. It's way more intimate than yeah. most people's relationships to the <laughs> yeah, trees. Yeah. yeah, and we do some other stuff too. Like we, we go and we we rate certain areas on campus in that uh, inventory process. Like we give it like a rating, like how aesthetically pleasing is this site? Do I feel serene or like, do I feel like there's this is a place of refuge that I can relax at? Yeah. Are there rec- recreation opportunities? Like that's called value. It's a cultural ecosystem value mapping. That's what that's called. Okay. And so you kind of like just see where certain like characteristics of the green space evoke what feeling in you a little bit. That's and kind so, of really, so you're doing that for UVC. Yeah. You so this is part of a class. Your own experience mm-hmm. with the trees. Yeah. And it's a cool course because there's no midterm or final. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds like I'm making an ad for this, but yeah, <laughs> there's, no, this there's no mid, yeah, you should, <laughs> <laughs> there's no midterm or final, but you do this report essentially at the end of the semester. So after you measured all the stuff, you do these like pretty intricate, like, uh, analysis 
of like regulating services like uh, stormwater infiltration and, and like how much shade and energy savings do these trees provide and stuff like that. Um, and then you present this in front of like seeds, which is our, our like uh, sustainability um, company on campus. And uh, yeah, th this report is kind of like summarized all together. And then, you know, students and other researchers can use this to like further research our green spaces on campus. And it's a, it's a really cool like citizen science um, thing, essentially. And because it's like a job. Yeah. You can you, put it on your resume. Like it's, it's actually like really handy <laughs> to have. Like it's actual concrete urban forestry work experience before you graduate. Yeah. And it's even being used by the mm -hmm. school. So exactly. you're helping people out. Yeah. It feels like you have a real purpose. And then, yeah. So after I took that class, I got involved in the full process of it. So I've been working for UBC. I use uh, GPS devices to map all the trees now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my job was like go on campus and find where all the trees are, <laughs> map them, do species ID. Yeah. And then figure out like a, a tagging system. Like you need a tag number for it. And yeah, that was pretty much it. And you, that, that, that like mapping service then gets uh, given to the students of that class. And then they do their measuring thing. Okay. And I've been also uh, doing teaching assistant work for that class that cl same class as well yes so i've been pr pretty involved in like the whole process now that's so cool yeah it, so it's pretty sick <laughs> yeah yeah uh is is the tag you put on a tree a gps tag or is that uh an actual like tag tag a physical tag yeah so um okay so there's two different types of tags like we have a id every tree has a, a tag id or like it's it's there it's that tree's id and that's like a randomly generated often four digit number that is just there so we know it's like the identifying feature of that tree but then a lot of trees on campus if they were planted as part of like a planting initiative have physical ubc tree id tags so okay. it's like this this actual like metal thing that's like screwed into the tree with a little number on it and yeah you can record those so yeah hmm. um do, do you have a, a favorite local tree yeah on campus um there's two. There's a lot, actually. Like, <laughs> it's hard to pick. I, I'm like, I think I guess I get asked that a couple of times, like if I have a favorite tree species, but I really don't. There's too many. There's <laughs> there, too many. there is too many, and they're all really cool. Um, no, but uh, there's a really cool sugi tree, which is a Japanese cryptomeria. Um, it's like a really. It looks like a cedar tree. It's a Japanese tree. It has like really red bark. Hmm. Um, yeah, it looks like a mix between like a uh, the classic like western red cedar that's around here and like a, a redwood, like a coastal redwood. Well, that's a cool, cool yeah, it's a, it's a really cool tree, and um, it was the first tree I measured on campus, so I guess it's like sentimental value I have for yeah. it. Yeah, but also they're really interesting because they so they do this every tree, every living thing <laughs> exchanges gases. <laughs> like you got to do that's that. It's like one of the requirements for life. <laughs> And trees do that too, and they have these little holes, essentially all over the tree, called lenticels, and they're almost microscopic. They're tiny. Yeah. And they release like compounds, like volatile chemical compounds. And sugi trees actually release this compound that has an incredibly st uh, stress-reducing effect on your brain. Really. Yeah. And um, forest bathing practices. Yeah. Um, I, th 
think it's, I might be butchering this, but it's, I think it's Shinrin Ryoku or Shinyin Roku. One of those. Um, that's like forest bathing practices. Those often in Japan are conducted in sugi stands in forests because oh. that compound is a crazy de-stressor. And, and it, it, it's not just something that you feel when you're in the area. The effects of that, once you've inhaled enough of it, will actually last with you for like several days. Really? Yeah, up to like two weeks. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, and I mean, the tree's beautiful and they, they look really cool, but there's there's too many. We need more them. of this. In, right? In the... Exactly. They need to plant more of these. <laughs> they really do. Come on, Vancouver. Why right? do we not have de-stressing trees everywhere? <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, that's or at least as like a park, you know? Like if you, if you had a stand of them somewhere and like actually kind of advertised it as like a, a forest bathing site that'd be pretty cool i'm sure people would flock to that here totally and you always have to kind of watch out a little bit because obviously forest bathing is like a it's a practice that people have done all around the world but specifically the really famous one is a jap it is a japanese custom you don't want to just appropriate that yeah. you don't want to just like be like oh yeah we're doing shinrin ryoku here and fucking giving out tea by like some white dude or some shit like you don't like want... a white dude yeah, might come out exactly, and walking exactly. up to you. <laughs> yeah you gotta watch out so like I, there there's obviously like things we could do but you have to do it respectfully yeah of there's course. like so much culture involved with like plants and trees like there's like i mean the whole ethnobotany field is like massive like oh, there's yeah. so much things to learn about the cultural part of trees it's almost more than the scientific processes that go it's on. crazy well i mean yeah. people have relationships to these to these oh, yeah, yeah, plants millennia <laughs> it's incredible no it's yeah. truly yeah um one thing i am curious about um i'm sure most people have some knowledge of this but i'm i'm, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about how mycelium affects the forest and the connectivity between yeah. trees yeah so this is something that's like very similar to what we were talking about earlier with like the uh, comparison of like Western science versus indigenous knowledge. Um, one of my professors actually was Dr. Suzanne Smard, uh, the person to like pioneer the study that found that uh, the like intertree mycelial connections. And I mean, she's amazing. That's I so cool. Love her. That's so cool. <laughs> she's incredible. Um, yeah, but I mean, indigenous people have known about this for forever. It's just taken us <laughs> so long to, for it to actually like work within like this like western colonial scientific worldview um it's something that's so like uh fundamental to trees you know like it's i think um dr samard called it the uh world wood web i think yeah yeah, yeah the wood, wood wide wood, web or something wood wide web. yeah and it's how trees communicate and like a lot of trees like pine trees actually for example they refuse to even grow they won't even germinate if there's not a uh, fungal connection there whoa yeah like they need it <laughs> yeah and it's it's super important and it's it's how trees like connect um and they exchange nutrients um not only with with within their own species or even within their own like genetic code like kinship they do it to f whoever <laughs> like, there's a spruce tree and the i think that's like the two the two tree species i think that suzanne smart used were a douglas fir and a black spruce and the way she found it out is she had a radioactive carbon uh, atom yeah. that she injected into one of the trees. And you can trace She it. actually found it in the other tree. So she knew that it had moved subsoil. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
it's crucial. It's like so important because like that that's how a lot of water, a lot of nutrients get moved around. Yeah. And like if you if you look at it, like the mycelial like network and like how the hyphae, which is what the the single little strands are called, hyphae, hyphae. Okay. Um, the way they're like set up is a brain. It is just a brain. Like that information is stored there. It actually uses electrical impulses the same way your neurons are. Like it, it's just a huge brain. And there's so much more we still have to understand about it. But like there's some like crazy complex shit going on underground, and we just don't know. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Um. Uh, this the other thing I was thinking that would that was really important for like the forest supporting each other would be the old growth. Right. Um. I I I think. As far as I, I know, at least, there is a protective effect that is particular to old growth versus other trees with its abilities to have like deeper reaching roots and giving nutrients to other plants. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, do you know how that kind of works and why there's special value in older trees? Well, so old growth is like, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a contested field within forestry, just because we've been trying to classify how like a forest reaches old growth at one part. It's like a state, it's like a life stage of a forest. Yeah. So you go through successional stages. That's what it's called. So you got like the very beginning after like a huge disturbance event, like a huge fire, just burning down an entire forest. You need certain like pioneer species, like lichen is showing up. And then here in, in British Columbia, often it's red alder, which can fix nitrogen in its roots. So it, it like fertilizes the soil. And then you get newer, the other species coming in like Douglas fir. And then, western red cedar and like western hemlock and at some point you know it gets older and your, your forest is becoming more and more complex because you have minor disturbance events that take down one tree and then suddenly you have a gap in the canopy now all these trees that are below that are like oh fuck let's go yeah, <laughs> yeah there's start space. shooting up and so there's so much like stratification of everything and that's how you get this like crazy amount of biodiversity because all these like little tiny niches that pop up with certain trees falling or certain new species being introduced keeps enriching the food web which is like all the actors that work within an ecosystem and how they interact kind of so that's like one of the most important parts of old growth is because it, it has so many different actors in it it supports so many different processes so that's like one of one of the main importance of old growth and the other one like you said is within the soil and uh carbon storage so like really old trees they often store a lot of carbon in these like underground mycelial networks. Yeah. And yeah. So like a lot of like subsoil carbon storage is actually the most important type. Um, yeah. And they, I mean, huge trees obviously store a massive amount of carbon Yeah, and we really need that. Right <laughs> Not a bad thing. Yeah. So these old, this old growth is like just, it's really important. It's just, it, it, it has so many purposes and there's so many processes that go on and they're so life supporting and, you know, there, there's so much, so many plants and like one of the big ones now, right now here in Vancouver is obviously a watershed, um, and how to manage like stormwater runoff. Cause you know, you clear cut an area and there's nothing there to stop that water. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you have a whole hillside, through. it's just fucking coming down the mountain. <laughs> like, yeah. Next thing you know, you know, fucking an entire city will be flooded Absolutely. or a major highway that connects yeah, the we'll city with the air. The rest is, will just be gone. And these like old growth forests are really important for watersheds because they, I mean, the canopy um, intercepts a bunch of rain, obviously, and yeah. everything trickles down way slower. And there's also just so many plants there that are absorbing all that water. Yeah. That it, a lot of it doesn't even run off at all. And yeah, yeah. That hope, you know, well, that's it's like a big sponge with exactly. all the mycelium and the roots. Exactly. And it'll, it'll... 
yeah. soak it up much. So, so that's better. like one of the, the huge important ones. And, and spe- uh, specifically in BC, you know, I mean, logging here is absurd, right? Yeah, yeah. it's huge. <laughs> the money that they get out of logging these sites, I think it's just because they, they see it as like this concrete, like dollar, like a tangible dollar value. Yeah. But providing these services like water runoff, um, reduction and shading and all the stuff that it provides like that that isn't as tangible yeah and they don't see it you can't but put a dollar sign on that until it goes wrong actually you, they, we've been trying yeah <laughs> so that's kind of the thing um we do in that uh inventory class is you do put a dollar value kind of on, okay. on some of the carbon that's sequestered and you kind of try to you're trying to frame it in a way that is attractive to developers and stakeholders because when it comes down to it, they, they're looking at the dollar value here. I see. They're trying to make money. So you're in a way commodifying the experience of trees. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> a little bit. In some way, it's great because it's giving them a bit of well, like... Well, it's so important to do it all. Economic like force. This, this tree can actually like... It provides a service and it, that service is wanted and they'll keep them around. It incentivizes expanding the urban forest. But on the other hand, like... The tree doesn't give a fuck how much money it's making. <laughs> it doesn't even know what money is. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just chilling. Yeah, it's just doing its thing. Like it'll and it will just do it. Like it, you know, it's pretty. It's weird. It's it, it's it's definitely like a, a pretty big thing in the field. Like we're trying to figure out how to trying do this to figure it out. ethically. Honestly, that's yeah. fair. I mean, it's not like you can offer the trees a fair wage or anything. Right? Yeah, like gonna be a labor union. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, trees, tree union. the trees are unionizing. Guys. <laughs> yeah. That would be a bit much. Yeah. But uh, uh, the I guess the last thing we haven't really touched on in the ecosystem that I think is a, a big role is is plants. Yeah. Pla- or not plants. Friggin', we talked about plants. We animals. About plants. Yeah, animals. So <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm curious as to how animals like their interactions support it and how maybe that gets dysregulated. Yeah. So to like tie it in kind of with plants, like if you're looking at ecology, you're looking at food webs. Okay. And interactions. Not not exclusively, but it's a big part of it. And um when you're organizing a food web, you organize it in levels. They're called trophic levels. So on the very bottom, the first level, you got the autotrophs, which are uh living organisms that don't require other living organisms to sustain themselves. So autotrophs are photosynthesizing creatures and stuff like that. And they make a base layer essentially. And then you got the next level heterotrophs, which need different life to sustain. Yeah. And you have often like small herbivores and, um, they kind of feed on the first trophic level. Yeah. And then as you move up the trophic levels, they kind of like interact that way, kind of like, you know, the, the top level below preys below on the lower it, level. On level below it. That is like a bit of a simplification of it. Obviously you have interactions from yeah, two all the ways, levels. right? But um, yeah, and at the top you got the apex predator or like the, the apex of that site. And that's kind of like often like a keystone species, which is something that like supports other species within the area. So like an example of a keystone species is a, is a beaver. Yeah. So they create habitat. So when they like make a dam and suddenly a river has turned into a pond all these birds now can like come and feed on these fish that are trapped here a lot of other rodents actually use this space too so like they're they're keystone species if you removed a beaver from an ecosystem the whole thing collapses yeah it would change the ecosystem right and that's called the trophic cascade trophic cascade yeah so if you like take one actor out immediately something else will like not suddenly not have a competitor and it'll you know proliferate and then it eats up all its resources 
because yeah. it's not being held in check. And then next thing you know, the whole thing falls down. I see. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely like a big cascade of dominoes, but just exactly. in a very bad way. Yeah, and like food webs are so intricate and they're like, they're surprisingly sensitive, you know? Yeah. Like any, no, any little thing. Like, and it's, sometimes it's not even just like hunting. Like if you like hunted one species and they were suddenly gone and then everything goes crazy. Sometimes it's just something like the temperature changes. And yeah. then suddenly next thing you know, the salamander can't lay its eggs anymore. And then the thing that relies on the salamander to live eat the eggs can't live anymore and then boom <laughs> all the whole, whole thing falls down so i mean animals play a huge role right like i think my favorite example of food webs and like nutrient cycles is here in bc is like all the actors that are involved within like hunting and eating salmon yeah so salmon is like one of the most important things to the ecosystems up here for very many reasons and the main one is one of the first like actors or species to go wolves will hunt salmon. Yeah. But the fats and some of the other like compounds that are in the skin are actually toxic to it. So it'll just lay it out there and let birds come who can digest it. The birds pick at it and eat their little share. And as soon as the wolf sees, okay, we're at the flesh part, they chase all the birds away. They eat the flesh and then they carry the, the carcass in to the forest and Whoa. lay it there decomposes so and there's cool. nutrients the same with bears like bears when they hibernate they need to be very specific with what they eat because they're trying to be as efficient as possible yeah they won't eat most of the fish like often they get a salmon and they like eat the skin for the fats and then they bite off the head for the protein really like the brain and yeah all the gunk and then they just <laughs> leave the rest there and it decomposes and that's why the trees here are so fucking huge because there's so much nitrogen in the soil i mean most yeah. fertilizer is just fish exactly so you know these the, these interactions like it affects everything within the web it, there is no such thing as like a, a exclusive use of one resource when it comes to like yeah, natural it's, it's systems. all so connected. Yeah, yeah. The interconnectedness is huge. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm curious, are there any like big invasive species here that are throwing that off? Do you know of anything going on in, in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, ivy. English ivy. Yeah. You see that everywhere. Ivy. Yeah, you'll walk around Pacific Spirit Park, and if you're off the trail, sometimes you'll see little flags, like little orange uh, tags. Yeah. And yeah, that's an ivy invasion often because it's like a vining species and it can climb up things. It'll yeah, yeah. completely like cut off like smaller trees. It'll actually girdle like it'll wrap all the way around and they just will die. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's intense. And um, from ivy. Yeah. And understory species can compete. Like, I mean, a lot of invasive species are that's why they're invasive, right? Is because they, they can thrive in almost any niche. Yeah. They grow really, really fast and then they shade out their competition. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in most ways and so ivy is the most prolific one i've seen um another one that's like actually really pretty is holly holly is another invasive holly's english invasive? holly yeah really elex aquifolium huh mm -hmm. uh also similar like can just kind of grow wherever yeah, yeah it'll, it'll just it'll, eat it'll anything sh yeah so invasives are they're definitely a problem um, however, I have had like some conversations and some like thoughts, a thought that I share with some of my like, uh, roommates and fellow students is that, you know, it's not the plant's fault. It's invasive, right? Yeah. It's, it's us in, for bringing like, it. To invasiveness the is in a sense, a kind of a colonial concept, just slightly. Right. I, I yeah. get what you mean. <laughs> Obviously, they're the not good. Because the plant's just doing its thing. Yeah, and it it, it doesn't know. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, and like, 
It's just trying to live. Sometimes, you know, invasive plants aren't even uh, brought about by humans. Sometimes they just appear somewhere off of random chance. Yeah, like a bird will eat drip. it and, and poop out its seed. Out. <laughs> <laughs> or Halfway like sometimes, like a fucking coconut will just like go through the ocean. It'll just float for forever and then get somewhere and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> yeah, and so I, it's obviously important to try to control it if you can, but there will always be something you can't catch. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Nature is resilient. Nature is very resilient. Like yeah, that. yeah. And just because like a forest stand is native, it doesn't make it more like pro- productive than like a stand of all invasive plants, right? Like those plants are still sequestering carbon, are still producing oxygen and providing shade and all this stuff. Like it's they're still plants. Yeah, yeah. And it'll happen. Like I mean, just because this is a, a coastal western hemlock zone around vancouver or a, a cedar forest in the pnw now doesn't mean it will be forever that's true. actually we'll never it's a very certain that it's not going to be one forever because they shift ranges shift historically yeah 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 it'll, it'll be different and uh as as the land changes right i guess it, it meets the demands of the environment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that's that's very cool yeah um I'm curious if you've learned about any like sustainable foresting things that that you think will be implemented going forwards. Is there any like hope that you see in 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 reducing our our kind of toll on the planet? Yeah. So I think the main thing isn't there's not like this one sustainable action you can do. There's not like that one trick yeah, yeah. where it's just like if you one do this, trick to oh, end climate change. Exactly. I wish conservatives don't want you to know. But but there are approaches that get you really damn close. Okay. (laughs) So the main one is just community led forestry. Most of the times, if you give the, the job of managing and stewarding an ecosystem to the people that live there, you kind of hit two birds with one stone. First of all, you get people to manage the space. And second of all, there's incentive for them to, because they're going to be relying off these resources and often the, it's like cultural reasons too, right? They, they, they feel this sense of pride in like stewarding their own ecosystems that are around them. Yeah. And in most examples, um, it, there's wonderful like results. They, uh, a lot of like ranges of endangered species have uh, um, kind of spread out again. And you see a lot of like just generally good things come from community forestry initiatives that's so cool so i think that's like kind of the the trick (laughs) as long as it's yeah because like big business it basically make it personal for the people that live there exactly because you know they can then they control the resource extraction and they know like okay well if we chop all this shit down like we're gonna be affected by it but if some big business comes in they don't give a fuck like they'll just chop all that shit down they don't live there they don't give a shit (laughs) that's that's what it it. boils down to like if you're connected physically and spiritually to that site you will treat it better 100 percent. and that 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 goes really far for uh regaining our like connectedness to nature all right. I, yeah. I, I, I really like that answer. Yeah. Actually. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's not like one practice. I mean, if you want like one cool practice that could like really maybe be great here it yeah. is like shelter wood cutting. Uh, so instead of just clear cutting an entire forest, you try to emulate natural disturbances. 
So you, you keep like little islands with like one huge tree and then like a couple of smaller trees around it. And you yeah. don't cut that down. You retain it. And then it'll speed up the process of expanding that forest again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And also like smaller scale forestry initiatives that don't just clear cut, clear cut an entire like mountain range, you know, yeah, yeah. something that just like extracts one or two or well, not one or two, maybe we're going to have to extract <laughs> quite more, but few. quite a few trees, but at a, at a more like selective thing. Like you take the tree and you pull it out. Like, yeah. Not so you just completely destroy the forest. That's right. Cause from that, that way the soil at least stays the same. Cause that's like the main limiter. If you're like just clear cutting somewhere, you know, you bring all this heavy machinery in that compacts the soil, which is really bad. Um, all this shit has to be torn up, you know, yeah, like yeah. all the stumps. So all that, all that like rich soil gets destroyed essentially. And it takes forever really to, to get it back. And they, they'll, they'll replace it with a huge monoculture of lodgepole pine because BC's in love with lodgepole pine. But, um, <laughs> is, that a, is that a strange yeah, love affair we It's because they grow really straight and fast. So it's just really good it makes lumber. good, good yeah. two by fours? Mm-hmm essentially <laughs> the, 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 the two by four tree you know what that's that's totally fair yeah um i am really curious on your take on this i want to get a little esoteric um <laughs> I, I, to what extent are plants like beings to you i think at this point to the same extent that an animal is like they are just beings i just they really are yeah like there is often the way i kind of try to do so we were talking about forest bathing earlier and obviously forest bathing is something that isn't a single process. You don't just, there's one like list of rules you follow and that's how you do it. <laughs> you you can come up bathing. with your own thing. It's like a kind of like, you know, meditation, the like, uh, presence exercises yeah. or like, you know, making sure that you're like, you uh, know where you are kind of thing. You, yeah, yeah, you yeah. watch your breathing and stuff like that. That paying is, attention in the moment. Exactly. Like, what is that called again? Uh, um, mindfulness. Yes. Yes. Mindfulness. So it's like a mindfulness exercise essentially in the forest. And the way I like to do it is, um, sometimes I kind of like to sit, I, I choose a tree, I sit down underneath it and <laughs> I like put my fingers into the soil a little bit, like yeah, rough yeah. it up. You just lay back and you kind of like close it. You squint kind of. So you know that light's coming in, <laughs> yeah. but you can't actually see anything because mm-hmm. like trees can see photosynthesis is essentially them seeing light yeah they can turn towards light move away yeah, from they it know or... what light is they can see it's just not an optical organ so you, you kind of can emulate that by just like squinting <laughs> okay there is light here yeah. and you just listen so i just sit there for like 20 minutes and then just like listen to all the different bird calls or all the other random shit and then oh, you, cool. you look around and it it kind of like makes you relate to the tree a little bit more because you're like okay well this is your space you're you you just chill here for your whole life, you know, like, and it, it kind of makes you like appreciate maybe some of the more like subtle things you wouldn't, if you just moved through the space. And so in that sense, I think that trees are, you can emulate kind of how it is. There's an experience to be a tree. And I, I, yeah, I see at this point, I see them. It has been a gradual increase of like how I see them as like living beings or something that's like a fellow living Uh organism I can relate to. Yeah. But now it's like I'm fully convinced that they're just the same as us. It's essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> There's I love like that. that one. I can't remember. It's like this tweet. And it's just like, do you not think that trees will be part of the God's choir <laughs> after death? Like, they will be. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, they're, they're, such, they're such amazing beings, really. Yeah. They're, it's, it's, yeah, it's, they're incredible. It's so cool. It's incredible that some of them have been around. Like there's bristlecone pines in Death Valley that have been around since the pyramids have been constructed. Really? Yeah, they're old. <laughs> they're no really old. And they don't look like they're doing too hot. Like, they have, like, 
they're they're growing in some of the worst conditions like fucking on the mountainside of death valley and they have like (laughs) like a total of 10 needles they're like so gnarly and they're just like fucking (laughs) on his last leg for the last hundred years yeah but i mean if if the conditions are right they will almost just live forever yeah it's it's incredible isn't Mm -hmm. it yeah really Um, i'm kind of curious if you hoard houseplants or not are you one of those people no i actually you get your fix at school yeah (laughs) no i (laughs) I have like I think house plants are nice to look at, but everyone has the same ones. Yes, it just it, gets a little boring. It does <laughs> you know? I really enjoy seeing when I see plants. I I want to see stuff that I've never seen before, or it'd be really cool to see something. And it's obviously really hard because you can't just take a plant out of a natural environment, and just plop it in your house, and expect it to do well. Yeah, you know, that's why house plants prefer being in house or they don't prefer being in house but they can tolerate it yeah um yeah. it would be cool to see some some new shit though like there's some really cool like i like monsteras they're pretty sick it's yeah. pretty like i guess a pretty uh standard <laughs> plant to like but it's got holes in the leaves so that's kind of neat <laughs> those, are, those are pretty neat i've yeah. always i've always been like that's kind of insane that they grow like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah are we we have a couple at home. Yeah. I have a little house plant. He chills next to this spot I set on the couch. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And they're neat. And it's important to have plants at home. It really does. It's very make your, It just looks nice. <laughs> like it, making your inside look a little bit like the outside is really neat. I, I love it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little plant as a gift after. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but uh, uh, what else? I, I, one other silly question that I'm a little curious about mm-hmm. um, on the whole plant debacle is: yeah. are, are you a fan of eating organic? Do you see like uh, fear in the in the food industry, or does that not phase you much? That's a tough question. It is, isn't it? I think organic, like organic, yeah, trademark <laughs> TM, yeah, is like it's very similar kind of in a way to personal carbon footprints in a sense that they're actually really just propaganda a little bit like why is it my choice to get organic right like why do i have to pay more yeah yeah you know like you should just not have to have poison in your food yeah it's it's ridiculous and like i I shouldn't have to pay more to eat some like get good food and also I think that this like scare, the like GMO scare is really bizarre. Me too. It's not actually that fucked up. No. No. <laughs> like if you know what Something. GMO is, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not that scary anymore. No. Suddenly you're like, oh, they're just attaching this random thing to the, the fruit and it, it does it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And you can do such cool things with it. Like, like some of the things I've heard about GMO being used for have been so amazing. Yeah, like golden rice. Yeah, that's the good That's I the biggest one. <laughs> that one's huge. It's massive. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I think that like, Obviously, if you can support organic farmers, you should. Yeah. But it's not your fault for not being able to afford organics. It is ridiculous and how expensive it is. they're just so expensive. It's like, ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think there's like more, uh, like I guess, systematic things that have to change right. for, for people's health. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, do, I do hate the aspect of like guilting people or, mm-hmm. or like trying to like fear monger about it. Yeah. And I, you'll have people that are like they say that they're like really like sustainable, like a sustainable mind, like really green people, but they'll do some really fucked up shit. <laughs> like there's this one example, it's called the Frankentree example. I think it was in Oregon, but um, there were, there was this uh, nursery that was trying to grow like genetically modified 
trees so that they could grow in sites that are too harsh for most trees. So they could reforest or aforest certain sites, like make sure that something that wasn't a forest before is a forest. And they weren't even like at the stage yet of deciding if they would even release these into the wild, you know, it'd be a hell of an invasive species. Could be, could be, could also not be like, they didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> these fucking green activists came in and they chopped down all the trees what being like tree huggers they didn't really like those franken trees <laughs> so <laughs> they just fucking murdered them <laughs> like, that's ridiculous it's pretty, pretty weird <laughs> like yeah i gmo is, is is strange i think a lot of our perception about like organics and gmo is not led and based in science it's a lot of it is like i think a lot of publications are very eager to find the next like diet and health trend. Oh yeah. Yeah. It and, sells. And yeah. And they'll shit on GMO <laughs> or not, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's kind of like, it's so random. Like it, it's not really based in anything often. That's fair. Like fear. So, I mean, some GMO is, can be pretty fucked up, but like you, you got to look at the, it's a tool. It's not good or bad inherently. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. For sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about your, your, your class, your school setup. I keep saying curious. I don't know why, but <laughs> a curious uh, fellow. I am a curious fellow. Curious like George. That's always the vibe for these podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting curious about things. Right. But, um, uh, what I'm wondering is how, how often do you get to go out in nature and like go out for your, your school and your classes versus yeah. how much do you get to uh, sit inside and like study, learn about things? Right. So pre COVID, it was uh, huge. I had, um, specifically three classes that were like obviously the the inventory class you're on campus you're out and about measuring trees so that one's very like field focused um another class that i took was uh my ecology class actually was suzanne samard she would just bring us places yeah like one time she was like yep we're going on a field trip up to uh seymour or no i think we went up to cyprus and we just walked around (laughs) cyprus and she taught us about like little moss species and tree species so it is very hands-on, like, um, for one of them, we had to do these, uh, they're called like a, you essentially do like a site analysis, um, to figure out that like Beck classification thing I was okay, talking yeah. about earlier. You go to a site or an area, make your own plot and it can be, uh, I think it's like five by five meters or something. So you Big square. Like yeah. And then you catalog every single plant species in there and you write down roughly how old you think it is, how many of each. Um, and then you can look at the like conditions that those plants prefer. So they have certain regimes. They're called uh, soil nutrient and soil moisture regime. So like a, a certain fern might like really wet soils that are nutrient rich. And so if you know that that plant grows there, you know that that are those are the characteristics of that site. And yeah. then you write down all of this, essentially, all the SMR and SNRs. Okay. And then out of that, you can kind of get like a classification of that site. And oh, so you're, like, you're basically inferring the soil from the plants. Exactly. That live there. And then you also have to dig a soil pit. So you dig down one meter, one meter down, one meter wide, and then you look at all the different soil horizons. You That's got, a like, big hole. Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> but you got to go deep, you know, because yeah, like, yeah, soil's yeah. deep. <laughs> and, and plants reach down very deep. Very deep. So... Yeah, we did that a lot in class, which was fucking sick. That sounds so cool. <laughs> and often, like, you know, you're out there, and she, she, don't, she don't give a fuck about the weather, so she just sends you out there, and you're like, <laughs> it's a pissing rain. <laughs> Jeans and a hoodie tr- with yeah, a shovel. you're, like, playing in mud. But it feels really sick, and, like, some of my other classes, I, I some of the classes I took this semester, we actually went out, and we planted a tree 
yeah it's cool okay, yeah like okay. we dug the hole and we got it out of like the root ball and like made sure it was in there dug the right size hole made sure that the soil was nice and yeah, yeah. that was super cool but there's also a lot of like in-person stuff right like a lot of like lecture lecture hall type you're, you're just chilling in the yeah. lecture hall and they're telling typical you stuff. uni experience yeah yeah but i think forestry compared to most fields is very hands-on because it has to be yeah i mean i mean you, you you can only learn so much about the forest you'll probably learn more when you just go there <laughs> like, exactly yeah so honestly it sounds amazing yeah it's super fun i mean for anybody who like is thinking about what they want to do and they're they really like to be out in nature i mean forestry is incredible you learn so much about all the stuff that surrounds you and like it really changes your worldview and it's super valuable and i i mean i'll cherish all that that in the field experience for forever i mean it's so cool to have a grade on being able to dig a hole <laughs> it is a pretty rare rare experience yeah do you, do you feel like it's changed you as a person oh yeah yeah definitely. yeah because i just like I, I just appreciate nature more like i i did as a kid well i i enjoyed nature as a kid but i didn't appreciate it as much but now i'm like some of the experiences that i made just playing with my friends in the forest are almost more valuable lessons than I learned in any school, you know, like just being out in nature as a kid, especially, and just playing and just running around, like you work on problem solving skills, on social skills, you learn how to like take risks and figure out how, what can you do? Like, you know, your boundaries, you, you explore yourself a little bit more within nature, right? Yeah. And I mean, you also get to like be in the space with all these other beings and explore like yeah. the compassion in the wilderness exactly. and all the discovery of it. Yeah. And it's, it's not scary. Like often, like, I think often like the woods, you know, are be, are, are often portrayed as this like unknown, really dangerous area. You're going to get attacked by a bear. Yeah, there's going to be a bear around the corner and it'll kill you. <laughs> but no, <laughs> like you're, you're out there. There's a bunch of other shit running around in there. Yeah. If you know what you're doing, you'll yeah, be yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I mean, the bears are pretty chill as long as they know you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, be bear safe. You gotta be bear safe, but <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be bear safe. Yeah. No, um, uh, I I had a few questions. I think that I missed on on the skateboarding. There was two things cycling back around. Uh, yeah, that was all my forestry questions. Sick. Um, there was one thing I was curious about before we finished up. Uh, was snow skating actually? <laughs> I'm really curious about your snow skating experience yeah. and how how you found that to be. So. I used to, my dad put me on skis when I was like three. Yeah. And when I was back in Germany, I skied every winter, every weekend of every winter. Like I was the super, skier. yeah, I loved it. And it's like so snow fun. sports are super fun. Oh yeah. And then when I moved to California, um, it was dry and sunny in the winters. So I would just keep skating. Yeah. And so I just didn't do any snow sports. My entire time I was there. Like for like legit seven years, I, I didn't even really see snow much or wow. I guess have enough snow to actually do anything in it and when I moved here for a while I didn't have like one issue I do have with snow sports is the cost like it's, it's very really expensive. expensive and it's actually like so limiting it like really like limits who can participate in that sport like I, I think the the demographic kind of tends to be this one yeah type of person <laughs> upper middle class yes. <laughs> exactly so I I just wasn't able to go out, but then I, I managed to get, um, I bought some snowshoes cause I just really like hiking and That's I like, awesome. I like hiking in the winter. It's cool to be able to just walk on top of snow. Um, and then I, <laughs> I borrowed, <laughs> I still am borrowing one of the land snow skates from Aiden All right. and, um, 
Yeah, I tried it out on some of the snowshoe trails up on Seymour, and it's nice because I, d- I don't have to buy a lift pass. I just need a ride up there. Yeah. And then I, s- I would snowshoe up the trail and then skate snow skate back. back down, and it's super fun. Snow skating's really cool. Like, it's hard, but it's really It seems really, really fun. hard. Yeah, it's like... But, it, it, I mean, it hits all the same buttons as longboarding does, like downhill boarding. Yeah. And it feels the same, right? Like, if you have a trail that has corners, you're drifting through the corners, essentially, and you're bombing, and it feels... It's the exact same feeling. And you got people like... Oh, what's the dude's name? Be- uh, Bell Harrison? Bell Harrison? I'm not sure. He's like a TikTok... <laughs> big big TikTok guy. Big, big TikTok. Big TikTok big on snow the skate guy. Right. But he has, like, the huge ski... Yeah. Like the really oh yeah, long yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, and he he just goes so fast. <laughs> like, and it's just lo- at that point, it just is longboarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's literally. Well, he's got like the full foot stop. Well, and, and the... he's literally using a Pantheon seed. Yeah. With like he doesn't use grip tape. He uses like nubs, kind of. Like the the nubs for your snowboard. Con- yeah, similar. And he uses a foot stop. He has a Marley foot stop. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think we're thinking about yeah. So it's guy. like. It's essentially a longboard, and it's really cool. And then it is so cool. Yeah, just last weekend I went snowboarding for the first time in like yeah? seven years. Yeah, it was the first time I'm going to Whistler. Oh no way! Yeah, it was really how, cool. how was the snowboarding? Oh, I was fucking so sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. fall on your ass a lot? Kind of, yeah, I did, I did. I did, but it it wasn't <laughs> as bad as I thought. Because I mean, I thought after like seven years, I was gonna. It would take me like two days to get back into it. But like within the first ten minutes, like I felt comfortable like trying jumps again. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got some good jumps. Like, I even got some tricks and some grabs. It's nothing big, but, like, it, it felt really good. And I, I went into powder on our second day. We got, like, 40 centimeters. Oh, that must be And so it good. was just so sick. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. And it was the first time I saw Whistler. And Whistler is really sick. Whistler is incredible. Yeah. Like, it feels really, like, it has an, a, a, a weird vibe to it. It doesn't feel like a very organic um, urban area. It's very much like a ski lift with a little city around it. Yeah, no, but it's not a. It's the city part that isn't like a city. It's like a big mall. Yeah. I never. I, I was it's trying so to put strange. my finger on it, but then on the last day, I was like, "Man, every single one of these buildings is a storefront. Like, when have you ever seen that? <laughs> like, only in a mall. It's so a mall. It's just a big mall. It's just a big winter mall. You know what? That's that's the secret that no one knows. Yeah. It's a big winter mall. Just make a lot of money through the winter mall. <laughs> There's too much money there. <laughs> too much money. Yeah, it's, I I, I want to know. I actually really want to look that up. But like, how much annual revenue Whistler makes? It's probably a lot of money ridiculous. that goes to that place. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I have. I think I have uh, one last question for you. All Finn. right. We're, we've been rolling just under two hours. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> we've been going a little Yo. bit. So um, I'm I'm really curious as to anyone. What would you say to any any young or aspiring skateboarder? Not even young, but someone who wants to get into it. Uh, try different things. What, what's your take on, on, on skateboarding? Like fucking just do it. <laughs> That's it. Like, do it. yeah. Take your board. Actually, the main one is, um, bring it everywhere. Yeah. Never leave your house without it. Take your skateboard with you. Yeah. If you're, if, if you're walking somewhere, don't walk, skate. <laughs> Cause that's the, the way you'll, everything will come. If you have board feel slides will be so much easier if you're trying to get into longboarding anything at speed comes from you being comfortable on your board. And then with tricks, it's the same thing. Like how do you expect to land something if you can't be comfortable on your board? You have to be comfortable on your board. And that really only comes from being on your skateboard whenever. And it's it's like the perfect toy, right? Like it is, you just bring it wherever you can get anywhere with it. I mean, it's the best bus and board is the best combination in the world. There's no better way of commuting. (laughs) Excuse me. How about bike and lock? (laughs) Bike and lock is nice, but what if there's a skate spot? 
Okay, I'll try to beat. <laughs> bike and board is also epic. Bike and board is I fun. I will give it I will give it to bike and board. But bike and uh, board and bus is nice because you can like just chill on the bus. You mean like read and listen to music? Yeah. It's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice. But yeah, I think just do it, honestly. If you're trying to get into skateboarding, just be on your skateboard all the time. Take it everywhere. Always carry it with you. Even if you're not even sure that you can skate, just have it with you. Just in case. I mean, if you have any wait time at a bus, just start popping ollies. Just yeah. do random shit. Like, just, just do it. Take the opportunity you got. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Well, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, Finn. Thanks for having me. No, no, it's been so much fun. Super fun. <laughs> um, I, 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 would you have any like social medias or things you want to plug? Uh, oh yeah. Um, if anyone actually got this far, I'm sure there will be a few <laughs> stragglers. Pretty, pretty long podcast. Yeah, I guess uh, follow me on Instagram. Uh, at finny boy finny boy with a six eyes at the end there six two ends <laughs> all right all right yeah. and um uh check check out the the skateboarding on void incorporated oh yeah that too obviously yeah uh at void incorporated at void incorporated we got some media we got some downhill there's some stuff and check uh, it out check it out support your local skate shop always shout oh out. support yeah shout out to flat spot support. shout out to less thank you shout out to every everyone shout out to katie for handling and organizing in park parkades which is one of the coolest social events you can do here in, in vancouver um, based social event mm-hmm. uh, who else shout out to all the boys shout all out to boys. everyone i have i have a few thank yous as well a yeah. uh, big thank you to my only sponsor my mother thanks mom thanks mom can do without you <laughs> otherwise uh thank you to noah in particular because he's the reason i have premiere i oh, can put these yeah. together so yeah. i love you noah big big love to noah big love to noah thank you uh reiner for helping me with the set it looks great today thank you to um eldritch for my logo which looks lovely and thank you to my friend sam mitchell for theme music uh hell yeah and thank thank you if you watched thank you for watching amazing <laughs> Please, please, please like and subscribe. Yes. Do, the, do the YouTube things. <laughs> if you find this on a, a hit list, the bell, hit the notification. Oh yeah, there's a bell. Add this to a playlist potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and share it with people. <laughs> share do this on every social media you have. <laughs> do it. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I love the rambly outros. Fuck yeah. Dude, that was sick. That was so. Man, sick. that actually went so smooth. I can't believe we went for like two hours. Yeah, just over two hours. Incredible. <laughs>